0: Hey guys, brand new podcast. And guess who's here? My beautiful wife, Leanne Kreischer, who if you'd like to see her podcast, Wife of the Party, you can find it at wifeotp.com. Perfect.
1: <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be on here tonight.
0: So no, I, well, I, I, I just, it seemed in an odd angle because the sun's over there. So I spun it and sun. then I had all this open space.
1: <laughs> Is that the sun?
0: It's saw. so funny. I have a joke about Leanne thinking she's the funny one at home. I am. It's, yeah, it, 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 that's right. It's fact. Yo, is it fact? Uh, So I want to thank everyone who came out on the Hot Summer Nights Tour. Uh, It was uh, a success, in my opinion, mostly because we had a great time and uh, and we all stayed fairly safe. I'm sure a ton of you are wondering, uh, Bert, did you get COVID? Uh, No, we tested negative for COVID. We had the whole eight people on the tour bus test and everyone tested negative. Now, that is not to say that... um, that this virus is not real. We did t- 16 cities, we did 20 shows, and we were very specific about how we toured. And I, I just want to be clear about this. I, we did zero contact in every club, every uh, drive-in we did. When I say zero contact, we st- touched no one, we literally talked to no one, and our group was very insulated. We walked in through a back entrance, brought up by a security guard, we went into the green room, we didn't interact with anyone, and then we went onto the stage. The only contact that we would've come into was on our walk to the stage without a mask, but we wore masks everywhere. And I just, I don't want you to think that because you saw me traveling around the world, that it's difficult to get this virus. As we know, a lot of my friends have picked it up and uh, from doing shows and people will still do shows and they should do shows. These clubs are hurting and they need comics to come in and fill them, so don't go out and shame a comic. Comics can be safe. They can be zero contact, mask, lots of sanitizer, And be very insulated. Um, But it was a great time. We had an absolutely great time. I want to thank everyone who came out. Uh, The the drive-in movie theater shows, I will be doing more of those. I will not probably be doing any more club shows. Just because I don't have as much control of those as I'd like. But those drive-in movie theater shows, I had complete control over. And everyone could be as safe as they wanted. You cannot tell an American what the fuck to do. You can't tell them to wear a mask. And you can't tell them to stay away from you. (laughs) Trust me. We had dudes running to the stage and literally I felt bad for the security guard had to stop them from running to the stage because I didn't want any contact. But well, you can't tell Americans what to do. They're fucking Americans. So we had a great time. We really had a great time. I will be doing more drive-in movie theater shows. They were so much fun. For those of you who weren't there, I just want to paint the picture. It was so beautiful and such a beautiful life experiences experience. Doors would open. These venues were Very nostalgic, very cool. Charlotte was one of the coolest places I've been ever. That drive-in movie theater was absolutely gorgeous. And I will be doing shows there again. Tulsa was like a dream. It was the drive-in movie theater from The Outsiders. The Outsiders was shot at that Tulsa drive-in. Indy, we did two shows. Fort Collins, we did two shows. Fort Collins was hilarious. And the guy that we kept up all night who kept telling me to go fuck myself from his house, I'm sorry, sir. I'm genuinely sorry. Uh, but they were amazing. Doors would open seven, show wouldn't start until nine. So people would get there, they'd start tailgating, they'd set up couches, they'd set up chairs, they'd start grilling, they'd start smoking meats. they'd start drinking booze, Uh, they would set up uh, uh, jacuzzis in the back of their trucks. It was so fucking cool that I will be doing more of those. I think that is, for me in my opinion, the easiest, easily the safest, easiest way to tour for me right now is to do those drive-ins. And I know that my act kind of lends itself well to the drive-ins. And, uh, and, 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 by the way, I've been talking about other big ways to tour that are a little out of the box, that are socially distant, socially safe. My wife is losing her mind right now. Why? You're just bored. I mean, like, if you're going to be bored, don't do it visually. Why? You're just like this. You're like,
1: <laughs> you're like, you're in the
0: background like this. Jesus Christ, I've already turned it off. Can I
1: go?
0: <laughs> I've been talking about these drive-ins nonstop. To her specifically.
1: What <laughs> were you talking?
0: So we had a great time. We had a great time, and uh and all I'll say is we wore masks a hundred percent of the time when we were out. I mean, <laughs> what is that? Am I beating a dead horse right now?
1: I feel like you're watching me now to see what I'm doing. <laughs> Just talk to them. I don't know why you wanted me here. Because. <laughs> so I can go like this. He's talking. He's talking.
0: (laughs) Wow! And to think I cared about her life. (laughs) What? You are such a. If you'd like more of these leantics, let me
1: ask you this. Go. How many times did I start talking to you today, and in the middle of it, I go, "You're not even listening," and you went, "You're right. I'm not even listening."
0: I'm detoxing. How
1: How about this? I'm detoxing. It happened twice in one sentence i stopped asked you started the sentence over again and had to stop again so for me to be a little bored from hearing you talk about the same thing you've talked about for the past 72 hours ad nauseum i'm so sorry (laughs) my bad
0: i have a lot of issues i have a lot (laughs) obsessive compulsiveness
1: Just one or two
0: anxiety i'm detoxing from this tour it was so much fucking fun i partied really hard And I'm back on the wagon for all these of you, all those of you that are wondering. I'm down on Kool-Aid. I had uh, one jug today. This one right here. I had this of Kool-Aid. That's it. That's huge. That's not. Halston, can you shut the fuck up? (laughs) I did not need you to chime in. I have one jug of Kool-Aid. There's still a little bit left.
1: He usually has three.
0: I usually have three of them. I've been drinking a lot of water. Whiskey cock cock dog. Well, the interesting thing to me was that you don't add extra sugar to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hold on. Let's talk fucking Kool-Aid for a second, okay? Oh
1: my God, Can I just go on my phone? No.
0: Leanne, how many calories are in those Kool-Aid packets?
1: No idea. Five?
0: Yeah, It's you do know it's five. It's five, and I put one in, and I fill it up with water, so there's a lot of water dilated in Kool-Aid, in Kool-Aid. Q- Q- fucking
1: diluted
0: diluted and kool-aid said dilated i think a lot of people were just thinking that you were drinking candy all day yeah guys
1: no, it's the sugar-free it's the chemical stuff that gives you like dementia and that <sighs>
0: kind of stuff
1: it's the alzheimer's stuff
0: you know how many notes i get from adults on a daily basis telling me how to live my life did you know you know that segura says he gets up and the first, within three minutes, he brushes his teeth.
1: Yeah. Hold
0: on. Nah, stop. You're do, you're doing this because you're on camera. And that's why he did it.
1: I brush my teeth. Usually, most days, I go pee. I weigh myself. And I brush my teeth.
0: Do you know what Angela Johnson said? I didn't want to comment on it. But I love Angela. I don't think I've had her on the podcast yet. Angela said that she gets up. And one of the first things she does is wash her hands
1: why what i don't know do i don't
0: night? know i just i just was i didn't want to call her out she put in my comments and she supported me she goes yeah first thing i do is i get up i wash my hands i eat breakfast i have my coffee and then i brush my teeth and i went yeah that's what i do sometimes most of the times but i now i definitely don't wash my i wash my hands a lot lately but not when i get up
1: what have you done at night that's dirty me no the person that needs to wash their hands. i don't
0: know i don't know it's a lot of people wash their face i've never washed my face I'm I'm not a face washer at all. When was the
1: last time you washed yourself? So we're driving to the new house today, Halston, because I have these massive tomato plants that that are getting sunburned, so I needed to cover them. So we're on our way, and Bert goes, so angry at Izzy. And I go, why are you angry at Izzy? Because she knocked me down, and I'm so itchy from it. That was two days ago. That happened two full days ago. And I was like, "Hold on, perhaps you're angry at yourself because you haven't bathed since she knocked you down two days well, ago." Well, you're
0: going to be shocked when I tell you the last time I showered.
1: Yeah, you keep just keep getting in the pool and then going, "Gee, yeah, I don't understand why I'm so." The itchy.
0: last time I showered
1: because you're covered in chlorine. It's not. Oh clean. my
0: god! Do you know the last time I showered was in
1: June 19th when you th- left here last time?
0: No, it was mm-hmm. in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: That's so gross. That's like, and you think I want to get busy with
0: that? Oh, it's eight days ago.
1: Why would you think that? that no, that's not. That's more than eight days ago. That's like ten days ago. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. Soap to skin. I've been
0: on a lot of lakes though, so I think that that. So counts. mad at
1: Izzy because I'm so. First intrigued. of
0: all, she knocked me. That she she jumped up right when I got landed. I got into the. She was
1: super park. excited. To she see
0: jumped you. up and punched me in the ball so hard it knocked the wind out of me, and I groaned like. Arr! And Leanne goes, oh, Izzy, <laughs> she's so excited to see you. And I what went,
1: else that supposed to go? You, oh, my God, did you. Babe, 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 are wind? you okay?
0: Are you okay? You're groaning and you don't have any wind in you and you're laying writhing on the floor. You, you just should have been
1: okay. La- I mean, I know it's painful, but you're not injured. You've just. I was, I was, I was, I was
0: injured. I was exa- no, that's exactly what it was. I no, was injured.
1: You're in pain. That's different than being injured. Whoa. An injury needs treatment. You had no, there was no treatment necessary. You just needed time for it to settle down. So you were in pain, but you were not injured.
0: New Two Bears One Cave is out. We <laughs> talk about brushing your teeth. New Bill Bird is out. We bust uh, Brian and Brendan's balls a little bit, me and Bill. Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all, but we do uh, talk about it a tad bit. So, but it's not bad. And if you think it's bad, don't start drama. Those guys are sick. Let them get better. And then we can bust their balls really fucking hard. Um,
1: What's that right there?
0: I don't know. It's on my computer. It's just dirt. So.
1: <laughs> it's maybe COVID splatter.
0: <laughs> today's episode is a really good one. Uh, today's episode is with Jack Maxwell. Jack is someone who was on Travel Channel. He had a show called Booze Traveler, which I absolutely loved. It was one of the best shows on the network. And But I didn't know him very well. I didn't get to hang out with him ever. We never really had any cross- interactions but that's just how that network worked is that everyone did their own shows and then maybe once a year we'd run into each other but jack is someone i didn't know much about and boy this is a good interview isn't it good halston i listen hard as fuck he talks about growing up in Southie as an underprivileged kid he talks about his dad getting on drugs he talks about getting cancer he talks about booze traveler and he talks about his new show what's his new show halston the high road with jack maxwell he talks about his new show, The High Road, with Jack Maxwell, and uh, it's on YouTube. You can see it. There will be a link in the YouTube video right under here to go check it out. It is produced by uh, my buddy, who was a huge driving force um, uh, at Travel Channel. Channel Travel Channel for me, Ross, Ross and Dale were like huge uh two guys that just meant a lot to me at, at travel channel and and uh and uh as well as andy there were a lot of guys and I and we talk about all of them i'm not saying last names because i don't want to blow up anyone's fucking last names what 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 are you doing what do you say it just fucking say it just fucking say it <laughs> i
1: wanted to go and make the record stop skipping <laughs> here you go dodge uh dodge, uh uh r- ross 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 i wanted to go Oh, you just the turn record. the fucking mic. <laughs> the record is skipping. Come on, baby. So, Come, Come on. <laughs> we
0: talk about a lot of people, and we say a lot of last names. We didn't bleep a lot of last names. If we talked good about them, we did bleep a couple that we maybe didn't talk perfectly about, and uh and uh and I just didn't want to sound like I was talking shit about anybody. But it does sound like I'm talking shit. And if they are the person that I'm talking about, they'll know who I'm talking. To.
1: About. you are talking yourself into a corner just move on
0: <laughs> you're gonna love this episode yeah. no more tour dates i had to speak of we're he- at home for a while back on the treadmill running not drinking being healthy
1: and making love <laughs> not without a bath buddy sorry
0: <laughs> today's podcast ladies and gentlemen from booze traveler from travel channel with his new show halston what the fuck's the name of the new show again the high road The High Road with Jack Maxwell found on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, my buddy Jack Maxwell.
1: This
0: is I did Radio this morning, Halston, from 6 a.m. until 9. No, 10:30. And, uh, I went back into my bedroom and I went to sleep so hard that I woke up thinking I was going to be dead. I was like, oh my God. And then I just got off a conference call. What's up, Jack? Hey, hey, what's up, Bert? How you doing? Let me change this guy. There we go. Um, not much. Halston, you good? You recording? All I heard was you say you woke
2: up at 1030. What was that? About?
0: Oh, I do. I did. Uh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this tour through, uh through drive-in movie theaters in uh, in a couple yeah. weeks and so I was doing press to promote the tour so I got up at 6 a.m. to do those radio phoners until 10:30 and then I Ooh. went I went back to sleep so fucking hard like <laughs> it was so great I literally woke up like woke up like so out of it but uh, but I drank I drank last night and I I haven't been drinking at all and I drank last night I got on the treadmill, ran ten miles, and drank a bottle of wine, and I fucking felt it this morning, bad. Wait a minute,
2: you ran ten miles?
0: Yeah, ran ten miles. Doesn't uh, that
2: hurt your knees at this point in our life? We're not kids anymore. No, it doesn't.
0: I don't know why. I, wow, that would kill me. You know, I, I wasn't a big runner growing up though, so like I, I never, I walked everywhere. I felt like I wasn't a big runner. What are you What are you doing for exercise these
2: days? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I saw you at the uh, last time we saw each other was Fryman Canyon. Yeah. And that's a <laughs> that's about the extent of it. I'm in Arizona now because I just got done with my chemo treatments. So what I do oh, is- You uh, had to go back into chemo? Uh, yeah, well, had to, was the, I guess, not pushed to, but advised to, because of the cancer I had, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um it's tough. When it comes back, that's when it does a lot of damage. So they try to keep it at bay, like you would with any cancer. But for some reason, this one uh, really does a lot of damage. So they said, you're done with the main chemo. We suggest, wink, wink, you do about a year and a half to two years of maintenance chemo, because it'll be worth it. Trust us. But we can't force you, but you should do it. But we don't want to say that, but maybe you should. So I said, you know i'm I'm not Sherlock Holmes or anything, but I think you're dropping some pretty big hints here, so well, how did I just,
0: you find out how did you find out you had non Hodgkins lymphoma?
2: Yeah, that was just pure luck. you know, I went in for a scan my uh my stepbrother is a physician's assistant, and he said, "Listen, old oh man, you don't really go into the hospital or doctors for anything. You should probably start getting regular checkups." And of course, as you know, because you went through it with me, being on Travel Channel, they invest this money in you and they say, okay, now you got to go through all these tests and get all these shots just in case. So of course, I went through that. But the usual thing like uh, having the uh, colonoscopy and prostate and all of that, not my favorite activities, (laughs) but I want to be smart as well. So anyway, I said, sure. So I went in and they scanned my chest. And uh, at the very bottom of frame, so to speak, they said, there's something there that shouldn't be. Can you come back in? No, I'm busy. <laughs> you say that, I'm going to run. What do you mean there's something that shouldn't be? Did I swallow a quarter when I was a kid? It's still there? What do you mean there's something there that shouldn't be? So I went back in, they did a full cavity scan, and uh, it was lit up. And they said, yeah, that that's probably some kind of cancer, we're thinking, some kind of lymphoma, because... Uh, your, uh, what are they called? Lymph They're, uh, your, lymph, yeah, your lymph nodes, of course. Your lymph nodes are, uh, are a little jacked. We should probably do a biopsy. And I said, okay, what kind of cancer? They said lymphoma. Probably either Hodgkin's lymphoma or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But we need a biopsy to confirm that. I said, cool. Uh, which one should I be rooting for? <laughs> Can you give me some? some hope, let me, oh, take the. I'll take the good one, anything? And they said, well, that all depends. Some people would rather have Hodgkin's. Some people would rather have non-Hodgkin's. Why? Yeah, that's what I said. They said it depends on what it is that bothers you and, and how your body adjusts. For instance, my friend's niece, she was like 20 when she got Hodgkin's and she sailed through it. Yet I had other people say, oh, you better root for non because Hod- Hodgkin's is the bad one. So. Uh, he didn't. I, I don't know. He didn't want to make me nervous or something. Anyway, I got non-Hodgkins, so uh, that's the one I was stuck with. And then I, I, I waited for a while. I was still doing booze traveler, uh, but I told the network and I told the production company, and they said, hey, you can keep doing the show. Sure, go on out there, as long as you feel like you can." So I did the show for two more years with it. Didn't tell too many people. But you, ju- you just had it, and you didn't do anything about it. Well, yeah, you know, I know that that might sound crazy, but I, I said to my oncologist. Listen, uh, for the first time in a long time, I got a gig. (laughs) I'd like to keep it, right? So uh, what do you think I should do? Because if you say come off the road and go right into chemo or radiation or whatever you're going to do, I'm going to listen to you because I'd like to live first and foremost, you know? And he said, well, do you have any symptoms? And I said, what are the symptoms? He said, you're tired a lot. Your eyes are red. Your limbs swell up. Your stomach doesn't feel so great. I said, you're describing the symptoms from booze travel. That's ah! what I'm talking about. You <laughs> want <watch didn't>, <laughs> Yeah. I, really? You must? No kidding. What's your favorite episode? <laughs> so I, I said, yeah, because I even talk about it on camera. That's what happens when you travel. I want to show the reality of it as well. Not just it's all, you know, rainbows and, and cocktails. So uh, whatever that's supposed to mean. So he said, well, you seem to be doing okay. And if you're not exhibiting horrible symptoms like night sweats, you wake up soaked. And and I hadn't, uh, although I had an idea there was something wrong with me, Bert, when I was in New Zealand and I threw up blood and I said, huh, that can't be good. And we were going to go to Hobbiton that day. Now I'm not the biggest Hobbit fan. I mean, I think they're great Lords, of, Lord of the Rings and all that, but uh, the crew was so looking forward to it and I couldn't miss that day. So I got up and I went and uh but that, I had an inclination. And then, of course, then the diagnosis and all that. So back to what was at the time present day, the oncologist said, all right, we'll, we'll do scans every, every month or so just to make sure you're okay when you come off the road. And uh, they accept the lymph node at about a centimeter. Mine was nine and a half. So I said, are you sure? Like, I'm not good at math, but that sounds a lot bigger than it should be, really. You know, is that geometry, algebra? But I don't know what it is. Multiplication says that's not good. And he said, well, we'll wait and see. We'll take the benign neglect approach, which means keep an eye on it and then we'll see what happens. But they were concerned because I could be in Mongolia, you know, in the Gobi Desert, no hospital. I'm a dead man. It's that simple. That's how serious, you know, cancer is. So uh, the first scan got a little better, second scan got a little better. And I thought, I'm magic. (laughs) I got the power of my mind. (laughs) <laughs> I can heal myself, get me a tent, and I'm gonna go do revival shows around the country. <laughs> and he said, listen, don't get carried away, that happens. Sometimes your mind can heal itself if you, if you take the right approach. And And doing that show was such a blessing for me because I got to see so many different points of view, not only cultural, but religious and spiritual and how people approach adversarial conditions all the time and and I really paid attention to it so I incorporated whatever I could of what I learned going around the world and I did try to heal myself but the next scan said uh it's getting worse and then it went from under nine and a half to ten and a half and the doctor said I think it's time to come in and do something so I had a break coming up in like three weeks a natural hiatus and uh I went into uh chemo only not radiation I did that very intensely for four months and then I just finished with the uh with the other one the maintenance chemo while I was in chemo uh the network said hey how you feeling your show's canceled <laughs> oh fuck but that's the way it goes you know I don't I don't take it personal I don't think it had to do with that because as you know they went a uh, little toward the paranormal and um I deal in a different kind of spirits I guess I don't know and uh, that, was, that was that was, it. There are a couple of shows got pulled, but it's more important that I focus on my health anyway. So that's all right. Yeah. Well, so wait, what's the difference between chemo and radiation? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, for me, chemo, there were it was six hours of bags of liquids going through um, my, um, my IV. Radiation is more where they, where they zap it. And I know that's a real technical term, but I think it means uh, some kind of ray gun. I don't know what they do with radiation. It's more, it's the topical where they, you know, this, it's a machine and they shoot, I don't know, some kind of light, some kind of whatever, radiation. They radiate it. But chemo is is either pill form or or through an IV bag, from what they, I understand. Do they? Do you lose your hair with chemo? I was supposed to. You know, they said, listen, you're going to lose your hair and it's going to come back white because you're old. Thank you, Newt Rockney. Wow, power positive thinking. I appreciate that. And they said, you're going to get sick, too. Oh, this is great. How long is this? Can we give this person the light? They're just full of horrible stuff for me. And so uh, I said, how sick? And uh, they said, pretty sick. Like, in the middle of the night, we know. We grew up in the era that rock and rollers was throwing and fuking on themselves and choking on the vomit, right? Yeah. Who's that Jimi Hendrix, maybe? Bon Scott? Yeah, maybe Janis yeah. Joplin? They're not the, who know, Keith Moon? These are all rumors. But anyway, that's all I pictured, that I was going to go to sleep one night and puke, get sick and not know it. And then that's the end of me. So I bought an adjustable bed. But none of that happened, Bert. Really? I didn't lose my hair at all. And I didn't get sick at all. I had a couple of symptoms. Uh, one of them, my, the tips of my fingers got numb and I couldn't pick up keys and coins without really concentrating. And then uh, I couldn't sleep. Blinding white flashes went off in my eyes when I closed them, whenever that was. But at at night, of course, you have to pretend you're sleeping to fall asleep. So I close my eyes, right? And I couldn't sleep. And so I I started taking CBD, and that's what led me to the high road.
0: Now, is that the new show you're doing with uh with with Ross?
2: Yeah, he's the production company. A uh, uh, company came to me and said, "Listen." Um, we like your story. It's inspiring. We know what you went through. Uh, we saw what you did for booze. Can you do that for us? I said, I didn't do anything for booze. Booze is fine. on <laughs> It's been around a long time. Actually, booze did more for me than I did for it. I have to be honest with you. Yeah. But uh, this company was getting off into the cannabis space and the wellness space in relation to that. I said, oh, funny, because I used CBD. I wasn't a big cannabis guy at the time Uh, because my father was a drug addict, so I promised my mother I wouldn't do drugs. Not knowing the difference when I was a little kid between marijuana and heroin, I thought it was all the same, what do I know, right? Yeah. And so I I was never really big into cannabis, but then I started using CBD and and then Full Spectrum, which had some THC as well, and it really helped. And I said, oh, there's something to this. So I I went off on the road and talked to a lot of people who maybe were in the same situation. They didn't know where to turn, and they didn't think that was helpful, but the medicinal side of it is just really making it quite popular these days, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, so I gotta ask. What, what, what? You
2: tell me about your dad. Yeah, you know, um, well, I didn't really know him all that well back in the '60s when I was <laughs> Wait, born. Me, start, start at the beginning. You're from Boston, right? I am. Yeah, I'm from Boston. I was born in a place called South Boston, which has been. A little bit overdone in the movies, right? Some, oh, wait, 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 <laughs> slow it down. Tell me about, you realize that everyone just assumes Boston is South Boston. Yeah, I know. There's a lot to it, but I, you know, it's funny too because if you if you talk to kids in the neighborhood, I don't mean little kids, it's just a phrase. You're a kid, right? You have, yeah, Bert's a good kid. If you go back there now and talk to the the guys in the neighborhood, they really get upset because everybody's claiming they're from South Boston. It's like when Will Chamberlain scored 100 points, more people claimed they were there than could fit in the stadium, and it wasn't even sold out, right? Yeah. Same with Southie. For some reason, I guess between Goodwill Hunting and then Southie, like Donnie Wahlberg, and um, I-, I guess The Departed, you know, that was, that was South Boston, and, and a bunch of other movies, I guess. People say they're from Southie when they when they're from on the burbs somewhere, right? But I grew up in the projects of South Boston, so it's, it was very much like Goodwill Hunting in that way. Uh, except Matt Taman and Ben Affleck are a lot cooler than I'll ever be. But I, uh, my mother was twenty-one. She got pregnant. She got married because that's what you did back in the day. He didn't want to be a father nor a husband, so they they split up in the first year. And uh, I'd see him. Boy, it seems like once. Uh, every two years, maybe. It was so, and I went years without seeing him. I always wondered why. Now, because I was, as a little kid, everyone had fathers or their fathers would come visit them, even in the project. And uh, I started figuring out as I got older, he was just, he was a drug addict. And uh, he would shoot in his arms, like a Dilaudid, which they give you right before you're going to die from cancer. I mean, that's some strong stuff. And I only realized this, After I moved away, and then uh, I came back to Boston on my own when I was 18 after high school. I graduated half a year early because I had this strange pull. Even though he was uh, not the greatest guy, I needed to know my father so I could know myself. Or at least that's what I thought at 18. So I go to live with him, and uh, he lives in a different set of projects. Oh, I come from great stock, let me tell you. And uh, (laughs) I – I promised my mother I'd go to college, so I'm taking college courses and I'm living with him. And he lives with his mother, my grandmother, which is great. They're real close family that way. But I started seeing he wasn't going to work, and uh, and then I I found a hypodermic needle on the floor. And again, growing up, the project that was I saw a lot of that, right? So I knew right away that's what it was. And uh, I talked to my grandmother about it, and unfortunately, she enabled him really and said, "Well, it's his medicine; he needs it." I don't know if anybody needs that kind of thing. What's he taking? And she wouldn't say, so one day, and I don't want to get too dark here, but one day after we had a couple of confrontations about it, I found an aluminum foil ball behind the radiator. Every room has its own radiator and there's about this much space. And I found this ball of aluminum foil and two Dilaudits, little orange pills. And and again, I'm an 18-year-old kid. So... uh, I'm savvy, but I'm still not street smart like you would be if you lived 30, 40 years, right? And I bring it to him. And I say, what are you doing? You said you're not doing it anymore, which he probably said a 100 times. And uh, he said, give me that, I need it. And I saw this immediate transformation from this guy I loved and was funny and fun and jovial. I saw this need, this desperation for this thing as if he would die if he didn't have it. Like if uh, you, you Choke someone off from oxygen. This is it. And then his eyes got red and big. Give it to me. I need it. And then I got upset, of course. And I said, OK, I'll give it to you. But you got to tell me these things here are more important to you than I am. And he couldn't say it. And he just looked down because he was ashamed and he just shook his head like that. And I gave it to him and he went to prison soon after that because he got caught for forging scripts, prescriptions. Uh, and and then. That that was basically it, really. But it was it was so bad because I loved them so much and I wanted to get to know them. I drove them to rehab, and uh, I'm in the lobby reading Sports Illustrated. I remember, Larry Bird was on the cover, so I was going to read that front to back, being a Celtic fan, right? And uh, about 45 minutes in, I'm thinking, where, how, why is this taking so long? It was supposed to be the initial meeting before you go into rehab. Yeah. So I asked the receptionist, and she pointed me to the back, and I went in the back. And the guy said, No, he left. He left soon right after he got. It. He went out the back door. My own father left me there. I had to take a train and a bus home. And and he was there because I was I said, What happened? He said, Ah, well, you know, they were saying this and that, and I had to go and I had to leave. No, he was gonna go score. And it was he when you're pulled to do it, you you do it. And that's the the scourge of drug addiction. I hated him for it at the time, but I forgive him now. Cause I understand you really don't have much control once you're in it. And, and so you're, and so you never really, you were, were you like a good kid growing up? Had to be living in the projects. I didn't have an older brother, right? I had a younger sister. So I had to stick up for her and and watch out. And there were a lot of wise guys in the projects. Good. There's a lot of good people too. Don't get me wrong, but it was a just, it's a violent place. They would set cars on fire. The school right across next to my building, they burnt it down. Uh, and there's a huge church. This, it's so strange, right? This, this oxymoron right in the middle of this thing. And I was an altar boy there. So I tried to be a good kid because my grandmother raised me the right way with my mother and said, listen, you have to be a good kid. You have to take care of your mom and your sister. So I always resisted the urge to do what the older kids were doing in the projects. And finally, my mother said, I don't know how long I've been able to do this with this kid. So we moved out when I was just about 13 and moved to Phoenix. Oh for real? Yeah. And then I went back like I said when I was 18 cuz I missed yeah. my friends like a knucklehead. I wanted to get back to the city and uh that taught me a lesson, didn't it?
0: So what what is that like? I this is going to sound like such a white privilege question, but like what's that like? What's that like? I've never heard of this is going to come out so horrible, especially everything going on in the world today. I've never really heard of white projects. Like I've only heard of like Marcy projects like like all the stuff from rappers, you know, sure. what's, what is, what was,
2: what's white projects like, like. Cabrini Green in Chicago. Sure. All of it. Yeah. No, I, I guess you don't hear about it because there's not a lot of white rappers. <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess what, what it is is that mostly like poor
0: white people live in trailer parks. And so you hear about like the M&Ms and the, sure. and you know, you know that style, but like, I watched a video. There's a 45 minute video about accents, and it's a guy with a Boston accent, and he just is walking around. He's walking around Southie, and he's just introducing everyone to everyone. It's the most. I can't believe it's literally the. I can't believe I watched the entire thing. But I, I, I. What when I, when you say project, I'm trying to wrap my head around the picture. Is it like what I think of in the movies when I see like the the black projects where it's like. Or is it a different style? Are they tall buildings? Are they?
2: Yeah, different style. Uh, I, rem- I know projects from those movies and, and good times. Remember, they lived in the yeah. projects and they were tall buildings. These are just three story buildings. They were basically built uh, after World War II for, for the boomers coming back from the war and they needed housing. Uh, and so it's basically low income housing. And because my mother was 21, uh, wonderful woman, but she just got with the wrong guy. And he didn't take any responsibility at the time, even though they got married. So we were forced to live in the projects and she worked two or three jobs because she didn't have an education, basically just high school, smart woman. And she did really well for herself later on, but at the time, and then my sister came along later. So uh, it was tough in, in the sense that she didn't have a lot of options is what I mean. I didn't know any better because I was born into it. But it's all, it's, it's funny you say all white because I remember on occasion, They would try to place a black family into the projects and, uh, well, they weren't having it. And they would break their windows and beat their door down and, and all these stories. Of course, I wasn't there because I was little, but you'd hear of it. And I was so heartbroken that they would treat people like that because they were poor, I thought, and they needed a place to live. And just because they had different skin color, what's the deal with that? I didn't realize there were whole sets of other projects in Roxbury where mostly black people lived. If you want to, you know, qualify it as far as neighborhoods, but the D street projects, uh, there were, uh, three sets of projects in, in Southie and we were the, we were known as the, the the bad one. The kids from the other two projects used to make fun of us being from these projects. Imagine that. It's not like they were Bel Air or anything, yeah. you know, it was still projects. There was old, co- old colony, old Harbor and D street. And they used to call us D street, uh, uh, dirt balls. And, and I said, I don't understand your, your projects are the same as ours. They weren't any nicer, but basically they're red brick, uh, three story buildings. And they're connected. Uh, and, uh, and there's a lot on a lot of acres. So it's big. And if you wander in there, it's hard to maybe sometimes find your way out. And you wouldn't just wander in there. If you go in there, it's for a reason. And uh, you, you shouldn't go there unless you know somebody.
0: Really? Yeah, that's how it was. Did you ever feel like scared walking home from school? Was there like bullies? Like, like, I'm, I'm fascinated.
2: Yeah, there were a lot of bullies because uh, they were unhappy. And that's where that's where bullying comes from. It's pain, it's anger, uh, insecurity. And so because people were poor, they uh, they took it out on others. Now, I was a kid, so I was mostly spared from the horrible violence, you know, there's kids would try to beat me up. They were older than me. And so you learn how to fight. My mother put me in martial arts and all that other stuff. But I was a little kid. It's not like I got great at it, but just enough for the neighborhood to know that I was taking classes. (laughs) They're like, well, maybe we'll go the path of the least resistance just in case he learned something in class. But, you know, it it still happened. Then, of course, when I went to other neighborhoods, visiting my cousins and things like that, they would make fun of me because I'm the project kid and this and that. And hide your silverware. Actually, somebody actually said that. Someone's father said to the mother, his wife hide the silverware, the project kid is, I'll never forget that. I'm like, Oh yeah. What's silverware? <laughs> <You know that? laughs> I thought it was candles. I thought it was like silver candle holders. I don't, I don't know why. Cause that's the only thing I could think that could be made of silver. Right. Yeah. I was, it's cutlery and I wouldn't, why would I want steel forks and knives? You dummy. <laughs> but, uh, as, as far as, as far as the, the violence of it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it was odd because when you grow up into it, you kind of get used to it. But yeah, there were fights. And, and I remember on Christmas Eve day, my mother and I came home. Um, I don't know where my sister was. And somebody had kicked in our thick metal door and stole all our presents like, like the Grinch. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do you do that? And it's in our building, right? Someone had to live there or, you know, we wouldn't just, robbers don't case the place. They live there, no one's gonna take that chance. First of all, cause you know, risk versus reward. What are you gonna get from someone in the projects anyway, right? So yeah, someone did that, one of our neighbors, and I felt so violent. I wanna go around punching and beating up people. But for the most part, I have to say, with all that being said, people started looking out for my mother because she was by herself and she had two kids. So there are allies and then there are people who are just gonna be mad at the world no matter what. How did you turn out so good? Well, I don't know that I did. It's all an act, really, no. I uh I promised my mother that I would be a good kid. So this is where the drugs issue comes from. She said, "Please don't be like your father." So I said, "Okay, what's what's my father like?" He does drugs, I won't do them. He says he's going to show up and he doesn't. <laughs> I'll be good with my word. Uh he's uh you know, he's he does he doesn't work. He doesn't have a goal. He doesn't have a, a job. It's all about getting drugs, so I won't do that. And even when I knew he I didn't know that he was on drugs as a little, little kid. I knew he wasn't reliable. So I said, if, I'm, if I give my word, I'll be reliable. But mostly the overview of that is, I promised myself, because I saw a lot of kids go off to Vietnam or go off to jail and prison. I'm not romanticizing it. Some of them would get killed or one kid got crippled because he got thrown off the roof. Another kid got shot by an old man in my building pounded on his door, wanted drugs or something. So the guy shot him in the, in the stomach and hit his hip and uh, severed his spinal cord. And he was a vegetable, the rest of it. So I said, if I get out of here, it's meant to be, and I don't really believe in meant to be, but as a kid, I said, if I get out, I gotta do something good with my life. I'm not just gonna punch a clock nine to five, do something I don't wanna do. I'm gonna pursue what's in my heart because I'm, I'm gonna feel like it's borrowed time. like I, Like I cheated it because there are generations in the project that have kids, they have kids and they never leave. So thankfully my mother had the strength and the will to get us out of there. And 1975, uh, she moved us to Phoenix. Wow. 1975 in Phoenix. What was that like? I mean, that's like, this is like, that
0: is, that is, I mean, when I think of that, I think that is brand new city, brand new buildings, brand new strip malls. Like, like Phoenix is just kind of, Cause I was in Tampa at the time and I think of Tampa in the seventies and that was, that was like, everything was brand new.
2: Yeah. You know, it was kind of a one horse town at the time. There may be 600,000 people. Now there's over 10 million, 11, whatever it is. And it's odd because outside of Phoenix proper was desert. And it was way like, if you go to Scottsdale road, that was going into the, into the desert, you could get lost. Now that's the middle of it all. Yeah. So the year before we moved here, I came out here for uh, for a, a, a judo tournament and I loved it. And my mother said, great, we're moving there. I don't love it that much. I just I had a good time because <laughs> it was so different and quiet and clean. So when we moved here the next year, uh, it was great because the apartments we lived, was no fancy thing, but compared to the projects, it was the Taj Mahal and the people were nice. And they would knock on your door and say, hey, you wanna throw the football? I mean, there are plenty of kids in the projects to do that, but you never had to worry about motivation. Or maybe you did, but it was just a different vibe. And then right after I moved to Phoenix, uh, they started a, a TV show called Alice. So this woman moves out from New Jersey with a blonde headed kid who's around 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And everybody started calling me Tommy, the kid from the show. And they said, oh yeah, cause your mother's like Alice, although she's not a waitress. And it was it took place in Phoenix that yeah. show. So I w- I got back in touch with my father a little bit because we I hadn't moved back yet. So I'm I'm going back and forth in time. He hadn't gone to prison that time yet, and he said, "Oh, I, there's this show on." It's I said, "I know all about it. Everybody's telling me." Oh, but it reminds me of you, and I miss you, and I miss your mother. I said, "You haven't been with my mother in 16 years. What do you mean you miss her?" So yeah. we got to I guess associated with that. So, but it was a great story that. A mother and a son move out, and of course, I had my sister as well, who's three years younger, but we move out west for a better life, so I try to be a good kid like that kid was on the show to my mother. I never wanted to disappoint her. So instead of that, I disappointed her as an adult and became an actor. (laughs) I waited, I held it in, and I said, okay, I'm really going to mess with you now. Remember all those times I was good? I'm going to be an actor and really mess with you. (laughs) What? So, so when you you moved back to Boston and then how soon did you, did you move then back to Phoenix after that? Well, when I was 18, I moved there with my father, like I said, and my grandmother, he went to prison. I came home. So I was there about 11 months, Uh, but I met a couple of guys that I became close buddies with. And so when I was 26, I moved back to Boston uh, because I thought I could handle it and all that. Maybe one last crack at my relationship with my father, Maybe. And so he's out at that time because he, he did a short stretch, really. He didn't for, for, for that, he got out probably less than a year, uh, but I was gone by then. So I came back. I'm 26, and I try to get to know him a little bit. And uh, another issue with uh, my – anyway, long story, blah, blah, blah. What uh, <laughs> was me? And uh, then I, uh, I was so disappointed. All the, all the years of hurt and frustration, uh, he was in the hospital. And they said, you better go see your father. We don't know. It's touch and go. So I go to see him. And uh, I know he's a drug addict, so that's the first thing I think. He's maybe going there for drugs, and that's what it was. So I, I go over to his doctor, who's down the, down the road, actually, a couple buildings down, and I say, he's a drug addict. What are you doing giving him drugs? So oh, well, we didn't know that. He said his heart hurt and blah, blah, blah. Not the best hospital in the world, for sure. So then I go, and I'm mad at him. I'm mad at the doctor. I'm mad at myself that I'm failing, that I can't put this back together, you know? And uh, he's in bed. And it's just, if, if it was a movie bird, it would be the speech. I tell him from all, all, everything he's done and the hurt and the disappointment and everything else that I can't, I can't do this. And i tell you what, if you get clean, I know I'll be there for you. I'm not sure about that now, but I'm sure I will be. But you got to, you got to do your part, man. Otherwise, next time I see you, it will be at your funeral. And I started to get mad. And he said, oh, I don't want to hear it. And so I walked out. And uh, I didn't even see him at his funeral. My mother, uh, my aunt called me. His sister called me and said, hey, uh, bad news, your father died. This is five years later. I hadn't seen him since. I hadn't talked to him. He never reached out after that. And so I figured, for me, he died that day in the hospital, really. So I, I didn't go to his funeral. For what? Just to make a show? To say goodbye? To 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 lament what could have been? He made a choice. And, and, again, I forgive him for it, although it was terribly sad at the time. Every boy I'm sure wants some kind of approval or appreciation from his father and if he if he was alive today he would have got a kick out of seeing this what this kid from the projects with no father became and I, or not that I did but I mean I I got out of the projects yeah. and, and I did what I wanted to do in life is what I mean and I didn't I didn't become a drug addict or an abuser or anything like that that you you could have right I I'm as you said kindly Okay, I hope I'm a good kid. I hope I'm a good person. But you got to keep trying every day. Wow. So how old was your father when he passed? Oh, I was 57. That's so fucking young. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, too, I thought he was going to overdose someday because of what he was doing. Uh, But he was, I guess he was pretty efficient at that. I just think long term. The, uh, the years of abuse took him. I didn't really get all the details because again, I didn't want to wallow in that, but no. he was in the hospital and his heart gave out, but it was from years of abuse. And by the way, I'm 57 right now. So I I, I guess I'm, I'm looking both ways a little more often when I cross the street. <laughs> I want to I wanna beat him. I, I want to at least live to 50. I hope I live to 88, but if I can make it to 58, because there's another thing him his father his father the oldest any of them lived was 57 so mm-hmm. i'm i'm really trying to set a world record here my 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 dad my, all the men in
0: my family died of stroke uh at a young age wow. and so my dad's dad my mom's dad and uh and my dad's dad died when he was 44 i guess i'm thinking uh 44 43 and when my, when my dad when my, when my dad's dad was 44, he passed away. And, uh, and my dad and I had like a falling out almost to to a little bit because, um, he was afraid that my lifestyle was going to catch up to me. And so he got me a cardiologist. Probably the best thing I ever did is get a cardiologist, got on blood pressure medicine. And it's the reason I get on the treadmill at all is because I know what's in my family. I know stroke and heart disease are in my family. So I try to keep it I try to work out as much as I can, you know, I don't, I'm not that great at it, but you
2: know. Well, I saw you at, at Fryman putting, putting the time in, not, not that that's Mount Everest, but it's great exercise and it's a good constitutional. So good for you for doing that. You're going to inspire me to do more because I don't do enough treadmill stuff. To answer your question from before, I walked the neighborhood with 10 pound weights and the only reason I did that was to gauge what chemo was doing to me. I had to stop three or four times this particular route. And and then it was two times, then once. And now I can do it without stopping because now I know that, you know, that's, that's my progress. So good for you for doing them. I still, I still can't believe you run 10 miles. That's awesome. Is your, is your mom still alive? Yeah, she is. Thankfully. And in,
0: in, in Arizona. Yeah. So tell me, how did she turn her life around? Like, how did she, what,
2: like, what was her path? Oh, that was to me. It's an inspiring story. I'm sure everybody has, the, has their own in their family, but so here she is. 21, pregnant with a guy she probably shouldn't be with, but she gets married to him. And then 13 years later, she says, I got to get this kid out of the projects. I got to get my daughter out. So she had come out to Phoenix two years before we moved because she was working for a travel agency and she won a contest and they sent her to Phoenix. And then one year before we moved, I came out for this judo tournament. And uh, so we had both been here and she said, what would you think about moving there? And of course, when you're 12, 13, it's all about your friends, right? It's all about where you go to play street hockey. It's all about where you go to get your favorite ice cream or a girl you got a crush on. You don't want to leave any of it, right? And so I said, "I, I don't know that I want to do that. And she said, well, I think we have to. So I said, okay, we have to, we have to. And so she had an old Camaro because her brother, my uncle worked in a body shop. So he got a car that was totaled. And put it back together in a Frankenstein kind of way and and just just spray painted it. She threw a uh a U-Haul on the back with the you know the tennis ball thing, and we drove she couldn't back it up or anything. We drove it cross-country. Her and her friend who wanted to uh ch- whatever, I don't know. She uh her, her friend was uh she's an odd bird, right? She never got married, never talked about guys, never talked about girls, never talked about anything. She was just so strange. I always wondered. Why my mother is friends with this person, and I understood because my mother has such a heart and such compassion, she didn't judge her for any of that. There must have been some quality that that she saw in her that made them friends, so they're in the front seat i 'm in the back seat read my comic books with my sister. no air conditioning, and this is the very beginning of September before school started. We drive out to Phoenix and she just starts working jobs and gets laid off from one and another one she's upset she's crying because she can't put it together. She decides to Work. I think three jobs. Pool her money. Put herself through computer school. All while I was out playing basketball or running around doing it. I didn't quite understand it at the time. And then I saw that she 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 got a really good job for the first time in her life. I mean, like a really good. Other than what what I mean is something you had to be trained for, really trained. And I said, oh, she was taking those classes. She went to work for Arthur Anderson, one you know one of the big eight accounting firms at the time. They shut down with the Enron uh, scandal, but she had retired by then, at least yeah. from there, and uh, and and she got a good job, and we were we were okay. And I thought, wow, from a young girl in the projects, pregnant, and then uh, no one helping her, she really did it all herself, and the whole time was a good person. Never saw her be mean to anyone. Same with my grandmother. They're saints on her. I mean, now everybody says that about their mom, maybe their grandmother. But without them, I think that's the guy. I don't know if I really thought of it that way, but I think they're always, their behavior, I think guides me because I feel I would dishonor them. My grandmother is gone now. My mother's still around. I think I would dishonor them if I did knuckleheaded stuff because they tried so hard to make sure that I'd be okay.
0: It's interesting. I I said, I did a radio interview this morning and they were talking about like, when did I start partying? And I was like, well, when I went came back from Russia and they're like, how much did you drink in college? And I go, not a lot. My first two years, because I wasn't 21, I was 18, 19. My first three years I wasn't 21. So I didn't really like drink. And they said, why would, what do you mean you didn't really drink? And I said, I was so raised not to break the law that it was ingrained in my head. Do not break the law. My dad was a lawyer, and so never drank and drove. Never, I mean, like, like legit, never did it because it. I'm sure I did it a couple times, but I, but I never did it because my dad would say you get pulled over drunk, they're going to take you to jail, and he would yeah. just kind of break it down of what happens from that point on, and never, never had a fake ID. Never would I. Never, I was never comfortable holding a beer when I was underage. Cause I was waiting for an undercover cop to come up to me at a party be like, Hey man, you 21. And then, cause that just happened in Tallahassee. That would ha- happen. And I never really drank, but I, it's weird. I wonder if I've instilled these same values into my daughters because they see me as someone who doesn't really follow the rules. Although I'm a real weird rule follower. Like they see me as someone who like, who like does his own thing. Like they didn't, when I was at travel channel, they didn't think I had a job. <laughs> they, thought I was just, they thought I would just go on vacations.
2: Sure, Bert the Conqueror. Yeah, they're like you. Yeah, you just ride roller coasters. That's not a real job, Dad. Uh, or that one. Oh yeah, Eighty I, Days, or Trip Flip, all of it. Sure. And so
0: I, it's interesting you say that because I feel like I was so guided by by like a weird strict value system. But and I fucked up. I did a bunch. I, you know, I I smoked pot. Did you, ever, did you ever like
2: smoke pot like growing up at all? No, I didn't. I'll tell you why. Because when I in, again, back in the D Street projects, there was a lot of drug use. They were, you know, and spraying, um, they were huffing spray paint. You know, you spray it into a a lunch bag. Uh, I saw little kids on drugs, uh, the teenagers on drugs. And I saw what happened. It wasn't the glorified. Like when I was in in the 80s and and going to high school, uh, it was like, oh, hey, let's do a couple of lives. It was a different I didn't do it then either, but it was a different vibe, but I yeah. saw what drugs did to kids. And so I was scared not to, because I saw the probably more real side of what drugs can do. And then I made my that promise to my mother. So to this day, the first time I had cannabis was on Booze Traveler uh, in Nepal with Babas. We, we squished it up and made Banglasi, and I drank it then. And then of course, doing the high road, uh, tried different things, medicinally for my cancer and neuropathy and things like that but uh yeah I was way behind the curve you would think a kid from the projects would would have done everything but again my my vow to my mother and grandmother was so important to me so I did other things I've been known to have a couple of cocktails now and then but as far (laughs) as really stretching it uh and doing other things I I never really did I I never even smoked a cigarette to be honest
0: so when you moved out to to Arizona were
2: did you have any insecurities of like your accent or? Oh yeah, different than those kids. Absolutely, and and of course, you know, Phoenix at the time, not a lot of people were moving in. Like I said, six hundred thousand. It it grew from there. Of course, again, this is September nineteen seventy five, and uh, so they would make fun of because there were a couple of kids from back east, but not too many. That was a long way to go in nineteen seventy five. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you talk funny. I said I talk funny. You talk funny. You say car what's a car? It's a car. The car's right there. What are you talking about? And they uh, say, what? Say that again. I said, the car's right there. What, what are you talking about? And they're like, it's a car, dude. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how long before we're going to get over this? Because, and again, some people wanted to pick on me because of that. Some guys, some girls thought it was cool. So it was kind of a weird trade-off, you know, like, Oh, that new boy has such an accent. And then as I put it on stronger, and how you doing? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm from Boston. You over here? <laughs> Whatever I could do, being the new kid, you gotta fit in.
0: How cool is it though then when Boston became like when the when Boston became cool as shit, like with Ben Affleck and those guys? I mean, all, all the comics, all my all my friends are from Boston practically. Gary Goldman, Dane Cook, Joe Rogan, uh Bill Burr, uh Patrice O'Neal, rest his soul, like all all Bobby Kelly. There's so many comics from Boston that I feel that, and I, and I started at a comedy club called the Boston comedy club by this guy, Barry Katz, who's from Boston. And it's, and then all of a sudden, I remember having this big influence of Boston in my life. And then Goodwill hunting came out and everything was Boston, everything like all of a sudden, all the stories about whitey bulger. And like, it was like, so Boston must've been a cool time to like, be the guy that everyone was pretending to be. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, sure. No, it was it was really nice that people got to know uh, my neighborhood and my city. And you know I can't take credit for that. I left, I left when I was 13, then I moved back there for a short while, like I said, then I moved back again. But I mean, there are people who never left South Boston. I mean, th- those are the real Boston kids. But I love when people from Boston are successful, especially from South Boston, because it's real difficult from those circumstances Uh, You don't get a lot of help, in other words, right? A lot of us are are poor and broken homes and all that. And that's okay. I just mean I I root for people. I root for everybody. But people from Boston, it was great. Now, I grew up in a different era because I'm a lot older than you. But we had Steve Sweeney and Dennis Leary and Lenny Lenny Clark, things like that. So Don Gavin. So I, I grew up watching those guys. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're so fun and funny. It's cool. And they're from Boston. Good for them. But I know you got a, a lot of Boston peeps because I, I listen to and watch your podcast and uh, you're always having great people on there. Yeah, I love, I, I love that. It's, it's great, really, when anyone succeeds. But you got to admit, when someone from the neighborhood does, even if I don't know them, I really uh, never really met those people. I, I met Dan Cook once and he was really nice. He was actually born in Framingham. I was born in that hospital. We were born in the same hospital uh, at really? different times because he's a youngster. But yeah, I think that's great. And, and of course, then Boston gets overdone. And everybody gets mad at me. What's with all the Boston movies? What, I, I don't make them. I'm not even in them. What are you talking about? It's not my fault. It's not like I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, let's just do Boston movies. I got to play a tiny little part in Mystic River. I was the helicopter pilot. You don't see me. You just hear my voice. And I wasn't in the the, the helicopter. It was just, I did it in post, post-production. And uh, it was fun because, you know, to, to have that one connection. But it's not like I'm in every Boston movie. I'm not in any of them. So it's not not my fault. And yeah, maybe it's a little overdone, but so what? It's my no. time.
0: You know, guys, every morning when I wake up, within the first three minutes of waking up, I like to brush my teeth, brush my teeth and wash my hands. Oral care is so important to me. The things I drink the night before, I don't want them in my teeth. I brush them right before I go to bed. And right when I wake up, just kidding, only fucking lunatics do that. Like Tom Sugura. but <laughs> regular person likes to eat breakfast and then brush their teeth. My point is oral care is important. And I love my quip toothbrush today. I saw it on my mirror. I didn't bring it with me on the road. I saw it on my mirror in my bathroom and I'm like, God damn it. I forgot my quip this whole trip. I had to use some bullshit, hard brussled toothbrush that I got at a Walmart. And you know, 75% of people use old worn out bristles that are ineffective. They don't even floss. I floss six times a day. How many times do you think I floss today?
1: Probably
0: six. Yeah. So. Good health starts with good habits. Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to brush, floss, everything. And the Quip toothbrush is fantastic. It's got time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses so you can brush your teeth for the dentist-recommended two-minute routine. And they've even got a size-down version designed for kids paired with their anti-activity, anti-cavity toothpaste, which, by the way, is the only toothpaste I'll use. Quip also has an eco-friendly refillable floss with a dispenser you keep for life an expanding string that just helps keep it clean in between. Quip's brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5 each. A friendly reminder when it's time for you to refresh, and stay committed to your oral health, and shipping is free. Join the 3 million happy, over 3 million happy customers that practice good oral care easily and affordable with Quip starting at just $25. And if you go to get Quip dot com slash broadcast right now you'll get your first refill for free that is your first refill for free at getquip.com slash broadcast that's g e t q u i p dot com slash broadcast quip the good habit company policy genius i love policy genius do you know why i love policy genius Austin?
1: what about me I
0: leanne oh my bad
1: <laughs> well i want to throw to you leanne so then you just sit, I'm, I'm going to go in the
0: house. Shopping for life insurance, can do not leave yet, can raise a lot of questions. How much coverage do you need? Which insurance company is the best one for you? How much is it going to cost? And at a time when it's more important than ever to have life insurance, the pandemic is making it a little more complicated to shop for it. That's where Policy Genius can help. A life insurance marketplace backed by teams of experts. Policy Genius is keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. It would. For people like me who listen to this podcast, that shit overwhelms you. Well, they're going to find the right amount of coverage at the best possible price without the headache. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You can save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork red tape for free. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they're going to take care of everything for you. So if you need life insurance, but if you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rates and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully, give you one less thing to worry about. T- try it today. I think it's cool. What? When did you decide When did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Like, what's the, tell me the journey. Like, it's so funny. I feel like, you know, because we were at the, I haven't even mentioned this, i have to mention this in the intro, but because we were under the same umbrella at Travel Channel at the same time, and I said, Ross, I should have cleared up who I was talking about. Your, the guy you're working with right now, Ross Babbitt, uh, has a production company based out of uh, DC or Maryland?
2: And uh, actually, now it's it's Kentucky, and he works for Wrigley Media. The Wrigleys from Chicago. Oh, for real? Yeah.
0: And so, and Ross is, but maybe I I would say, in my experience of Hollywood, I got I got a top ten list of people that have been that are just I'd be friends with if they weren't in the business. Just a great, great Ross Babbitt is one of the greatest dudes. I've ever worked for in my life, without a fucking doubt.
2: Yeah, he's a a big fan of yours. And he was the first person to look at the pilot of Booze Traveler. As you know, Travel Channel had nothing to do with that. There were just two women who were friends and shot this this very shaky pilot. But he saw it and saw something there and said, you know, we could do something with this. So I'll I'll forever be grateful to Ross Babbitt for that.
0: Tell me about, I want to know about the... I didn't know that about booze traveler. Tell me what happened. How did booze traveler come about? Hold on. Hang on. I moved the phone in this, in this. Oh, Dr. Oh,
2: go ahead. Take it. I'm, I got time. Good.
0: Okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, she is not here. Can you try her on her cell phone? Yep. Thank you. Sorry. I That's moved right. my phone in here so I could do radio this morning. Um, so tell me about how did Bruce traveler come about?
2: Well, I uh, I just went on an audition really, and uh, the like I said these these two women who were new to the to the business in some sense. I don't think either either of them had a a show that they had sold to a uh, network, but they had this grand plan that they would uh, do a show going around the world and uh, having drinks, and of course it had been done before. Uh, Zane Lamprey had done it, of course, uh, the thirsty traveler, even Bourdain, rest his soul, incorporated a lot of drinking. So it's not like it was a new idea, but I had not, I was not familiar with any of those at the time. I didn't watch travel channel. I didn't watch any reality based thing for me. It was all ESPN and animal planet. I mean, with the news once in a while, I love sports and I love seeing the the raw nature, just how it, you know, not scripted. I, and I was not a reality show guy at all. I'm still not Really? So I wasn't familiar with any of it, although you, everyone heard, had heard about Anthony Bourdain, of course. So I go in this audition, and they won't even tell you what it is. I had to sign an NDA, and uh, they, they don't say it's a drinking show. And they said, by the way, this is someone else's job already. We're just killing time till he comes in from Dallas tomorrow. And so we're having auditions in case we do something down the road or something like that. And uh, so I said, OK, well, that releases a lot of pressure. I'm not going to get it. Usually it's about 10 minutes in before I realize I'm not gonna get something right away. (laughs) So I said, okay, great. Uh, And uh, they started talking about, would you do this? Would you do that? And so I I got that it was a travel show. Have you been here? Have you been there? How many countries? How many continents? And then they said, uh, would you ever eat Rocky Mountain oysters? And we all know those are bulls testicles, of course. And you never say no at an audition. You know that. Just yeah. like in an, in an improv, it's yes and. You don't say no, right? Yeah. So I said, sure, of course. And they said, well, um, okay, would you drink them in vodka? I just said I'd eat them. <laughs> I thought the questions got harder. What do you mean? Well, I'd drink anything in vodka. Rusty pennies, broken rocks, magnets. What do you mean? That's easy. They said, okay, great. What would you call that? I said, sounds like a highball. <laughs> and they said, oh, wait a minute. Is that how you would approach this show if you got it? Fun? I said, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, it's, you're still not telling me what it is. Sounds like it's something to do with drinking. And I think a guy going around the world drinking should probably have a couple of laughs, right? He said, oh, well, we were looking for a more serious thing, like Anthony Bourdain. And I said, that's great. Anthony's great at what he does, but... Uh, and again, I had heard of him, people had talked about, so I was familiar with the show, even though I had not seen an episode. I said, from what I understand, he, he, I I could never do it. I mean, he's an author and a chef and world traveler. I could never do that kind of show and he wouldn't want to do it my way. I don't think so. I guess that's how I do it. And they said, okay, great. Well, it is kind of a drinking show. We're going to bring you back um, tomorrow callbacks. So I came back and they narrowed it. They kept narrowing it down and, this is hours and hours and hours. And I finally, they, they, they can't figure out who they want to give it to. So they do the old left turn thing real quick. They say, tell us about a sport that you love or something like that. So it's, yeah, well, I love street hockey when I was a kid. And I said, like, boom, tell us a dirty joke. It better be dirty and funny. You have two seconds to start. Otherwise you leave. Go. And I'm like, what? And then I just went into a joke because they, they, again, they were throwing people out if you couldn't think quick on your feet or something like that. So I, I, I told the dirtiest, filthiest, funniest joke I could think of, and they liked it. And uh, then th- later that day, they offered it to me. I came back into the room and I said, I can't do it. What? What do you mean you can't do it after two days of auditions and cover? What do you mean you can't do it? I said, I'm doing a film and I'm committed to it. And you guys have to leave the country by this date. And I have a couple more days left on the movie. You can't do that. You have to be available. I said, I know. And usually I I wouldn't, but I go on auditions all the time. I never get the job. I just came to practice. So (laughs) they, they kindly, after calling me every name in the book, Moved, uh, instead of going to India, we went to Nepal and a couple other places, but they moved the schedule around and uh, we went off and did the pilot for what became Booze Traveler. It was called something else at the time. And they said, by the way, we don't really love the name. Can you come up with something? So I ran it by, you know, my mother and I were bouncing things off of a glass of wine because she's very creative. She wanted to call it Jack on the Rocks. I said, that sounds like I'm down and out, but it's not a fun show. (laughs) So... Uh, I came up with booze traveler and they liked it and s- submitted it to the network and the network went with it really, um, and so there you go. So, but it took it took a year before they got it to Travel Channel and Travel Channel. Uh, they, they they sent it out through their agency and nobody bid on it, and 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 then finally they got it to Ross at uh at real screen which if you don't know what real screen is is a place where you meet producers and network heads and you pitch shows and you learn how to write scripts and all this other stuff i guess and the industry goes there basically and uh one of the creators just put a laptop in front of ross and said look at this and he did and he's well that's not how it works but okay i'll look at it and he liked it and then in the in the meeting at travel channel he pitched it to everyone and said i like this do you and they said yes and he kind of bet it, bet his career on at the time, or at least his his credibility, if nothing else. And so, from the time we filmed it till the time they picked it up it was just over a year. Uh, and then we ended up doing four seasons. It was great. Was there no, was Lorene at the network when you got there? Uh, I think just at the very beginning, before they really lit it up. Uh, but then uh, Shannon O'Neill took over, and he loved it. So that's why we started I forgot doing. it. he was our president for a second. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a, a champion of the show and a, and a nice guy, and uh, I still, you know, tag him every once in a while, uh, you know, online or, or, or we text because, you know, I, I remember the people who were really supportive, and I don't just mean the people who can do something for you. I mean the people who believe in you before maybe even you believe in yourself, and they give you an opportunity to show what you can do, and then from there, uh, you know, it gets the ball rolling. You know, I did this play, the play that made me an actor. I did a play called Orphans. And I loved it so much because I really related to it. It was a street smart, uh, although struggling kid. And and it was hard and the things he had to go through. But one of the lines from the play is, you just need a little encouragement, Treat. And every time I heard it in the play, I just thought of my real life and how much that would have meant a difference to me. So that has stayed with me forever, that line. And I ended up being at the actor's studio where I study acting to this day and the author was standing in front of me and I realized he was the author and he turned around and I said, Lyle Kessler your play made me an actor and I'd gone out to work with him with some other couple of things, but it's just funny how it all comes around. But, but for the people who believed in me, just like with you, I mean, they were crazy enough to, to say, okay, yes to this show, no to this show. And they let you go, which I'm sure they regret to this day. But, you know, you just keep on and you say, okay, I believe in myself now. I know I can do it. So you just keep doing it. It's interesting. I, I was, I'm,
0: I'm working on this, uh, I'm, I'm working on this book and I, I have, uh, I have the way I look at the world is a little skewed and I unique. think, I think it's, yeah, unique. Yeah. <laughs> I the world. But one, I, one of the things I was, one of the things i I was talking about, I was kind of talking out with my wife was how, in life. I would not necessarily look at the people that were succeeding and see what they did to succeed. Cause I think that's such a, it's such a, a sliding scale of why people succeed and that no one will ever acknowledge. They'll never, no one will ever acknowledge the real things that made them successful. Like, like um, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, like I, I love Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. So I can't really use him as an example, but he's someone that always attributes his success to his hard work, his work ethic. And, but there's things that he, that, that affected him that you can't have affect you because it, it, that's his life. That That is why he's famous. You know, the fact that he grew up with a dad who was a drug addict and And a single mom, like those certain things like that are things in people's lives that, like, you know, the fact that your dad was a drug addict is why you said, I won't ever do drugs. Well, you can't, you you also need that in your life to be successful. It's part of the the tapestry that makes up the man. The things that you can't control sometimes, you can't add them into your life. Like, there's no way I can go, well, I need my dad to be a drug addict so I don't use drugs or or something like that. So what I always did when I looked, when I've always done this, is I've looked at the failures of men as just simply a navigation of what to avoid. God damn it. Give me a second. Hello. Hello. God damn it. So, but I looked at people's failures. So like I, if I worked with a guy who was successful, I would find out the things they did that I didn't like. And then I would, and I would highlight those in my head. There's a song by perfect circle called Judith. Um, and this line hit me so hard. I think it's, uh, you're such an inspiration for a way that I never want to be. And so like, I kind of would tag onto that. And so one of the things I was thinking the other day was I was like, you know, I'm really grateful for all the people that at times I thought did me wrong, or I thought didn't get me or didn't like me that kind of closed doors for me because all those closed doors got me to here. Now I don't know what open doors would in my, in my youth would have been looked like, would have looked like like last comic standing. I remember, I remember I didn't get last comic standing too. I remember we were about to have Georgia and I got this little duck for her. She was about to be born. And there was this little duck uh, by the gift store in this hotel in New York. And I was, I couldn't, I couldn't get past the fact that I was going to be a father and I was a failure that I was, that I just got Mm. kicked off a reality show. And Jim Norton said to me, um, he came up behind me and he said, Hey man, sorry about not getting through to the next round, but you know, Hey, it's a journey or something like that. Or he said something to the fact of it's a journey and you know, you're going to be grateful that I remember him saying, you're going to be grateful that you, this didn't happen for you. And I was like, how the fuck can I ever be grateful for not succeeding? Now I look back and I go, okay, had I gotten on Last Comic Standing, I would have been famous. I would have been very famous. Everyone was famous. And I had only been doing stand-up for like four years. And I would never be ready to be writing material and turning over material and and doing my act. And, and I, would have, I would have failed. I would have failed. And I now I'd be always trying to come back from that failure. So I'm glad of that. So I was thinking about uh, – I probably shouldn't say her name. But I uh, yeah, Halston, be about her name. But she was the president when i got let go of travel channel and had she not fired me i would never have been at that exact same place i was right after last comic standing sitting right behind that desk with my hands in my sh- like this i was in this chair in this position going like what the fuck am i going to do like i had a family we were redoing our house i i had put my stand up career kind of on hold to really put all my eggs in the travel channel basket and i was like What am I gonna do? Like, what? How do I get out of this? And I remember thinking, I I remember feeling like I just was like kicked out of a family. It was so hard. But if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have built up the things I needed to succeed, and I wouldn't be where I am today. And so, like in a weird way, I was thinking, I'm so grateful that she didn't get my personality, and that she. Just was like, I don't understand why you'd be on Travel Channel. But you might be, makes total fucking sense. I'm overweight. I ride roller coasters. I'm an alcoholic. Like, all these things are like, who the fuck is this guy? Why am I having to deal with this shit show?
2: Well, you know, uh, the same person uh, let me go as well for other reasons. Same reason. I don't know. Maybe because they were going more to the paranormal, but uh, I feel the same way because I was going through chemo uh, and maybe I would have rushed back too soon or I would have pulled the needle out of my arm just to go do another episode and I wouldn't be where I am now. But earlier when you were saying about that, about you you never know someone's failures or hardships make them into a certain kind of person. Uh, Voltaire has one of my favorite sayings and it certainly applies to me and I'm sure to you too in some way. But he said, the greatest gift you can give an artist is an unhappy childhood. And I didn't I didn't get that when I heard it at first because I was too young. But then when I heard it again as an adult, I realized that we use all of that to to look at life a certain way. And if I had been born with a silver spoon in my mouth and had everything easy, I know I wouldn't appreciate it. And it sounds cliche, I know. Oh, yeah. But if all of that didn't happen, maybe I would have turned to drugs if my father wasn't a drug addict. Maybe I wouldn't have worked so hard to try to be a success or a good person if I didn't have both his bad influence and my mother and grandmother's good influence. So I, I give it to that, the good and the bad. Such a good way to look at it, Bert, you're right. When you look at both sides, the dark and the light, that's who you are, the yin and the yang.
0: You can't, you can't tell, Kevin Hart can't tell someone Listen, you need to be undersized and living in a bad neighborhood where you're feel for feel for feel for fearful for your life and you, that's how you're going to develop a personality is that you need to be defending yourself. That when you get down to school, people are going to start busting your balls because they think you can and you need to be able to come back and you need to use comedy as a defense. Like you th- those things he could he could say them in an in an Instagram speech, but those are so important to the development of uh, of him and his success, you know, sure. Like, the rock. Now this is going to, I'm a big fan of the fucking rock, but the rock needs to do an Instagram post where he's like, number one, you got to be obsessed with an occupation where you feel like your dad was disrespected and disregarded. Cause he was an African-American in a time where wrestling was predominantly a Southern male. Like that. You can't like, you, the, you need to add those things in because that driving motivator pushes the rock to be the guy he is today. So like, that's right. You can't, I could never look at someone's successes and go, oh, okay. uh, I I, like, I'm trying to use, I I had exact examples, but I can't use them because people would know who the person is and it's unfair to share the things. But what I could definitely do is look at where he fucked up and go, okay, stay away from that. Like that was a real clear roadmap for me growing up.
2: Sure. Yeah. With the rock. He, uh, I read his book years ago and uh, he was played for the University of Miami Hurricanes football team and he got injured and he didn't have the career that he wanted to. So that was a driving force too because the trainer kept busting his chops about, is that all you got for me? You're not working hard enough? And he said, hard, I'll show you hard work. And he became, of course, in, in wrestling, one of the hardest workers there was and certainly one of the most successful. But right, it stems from how his father and grandfather were treated. And he wanted to, you know, extend their legacies perhaps yeah, and that's I, why he i feel like his grandfather
0: and father weren't given they, there was no at the time there was no value and not value but like in the wrestling world it was the blonde hair blue eye rick flair hulk hogan that was what was popping and when right. it, and, and dusty roads and like and so i i think it's it's so interesting that there was no appreciation paid to the hawaiian culture or black culture in that time but now you look at it and it's like hawaiian culture I think everyone realizes that. Oh fuck yeah, Hawaiians are badasses. Like, but that does <laughs> of
2: now, it's the same way as Southie is. They sure are those those yeah. uh, islanders, man. They're tough. You know, you, Eddie would go. Remember that. You know that story. Yeah, uh, all of it. it. They're just they are they they are badasses for sure. It's crazy. Um,
0: I'm texting with my daughter, uh, Georgia, cra- the yeah, one you yeah. were just
2: talking about. Yeah. <laughs> how, how sweet. Does she still have the duck? yeah she does uh oh that's great uh, see look at the success you've become because you measure it but you're a wonderful father and a family man and a husband that's that's true success and that's what you focused on whether you got gigs or not man so i think you were always a success honestly oh i've i've I've, my life i'm i it's, it's the thing is like i have a hard
0: time giving advice to people because my life is so not make sense on paper and so like I couldn't tell you how to, I couldn't yeah, tell you. you
2: wouldn't how to follow do. that roadmap. Yeah, for sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We have another connection that you don't even know about. I did a short film when I first got to LA and wanted to be an actor. And and the writers, not because of this short film necessarily, they went on and, and that's the last time I heard from them. They said, We're writing on this other film. And I said, Oh, great. what what, what is it? National Lampoon's Van Wilder. It's the <laughs> true story of a this crazy guy and it's featuring Ryan Reynolds who's not so well known. Then I find out that's you. I said, yeah. "Who is this per crazy? What? He's really a wild crazy. He's he's like the like John Belushi was in Animal House and all of that." Then years later, I get to Travel Channel. I'm like, "Wow, I'm starstruck. <laughs> this is the guy." This and and I don't know if a lot of people know that or whether you even want to talk about it, but I, I always, from that moment, I always remembered who you were and, and, and your name and all of that. And what a journey. That's why I said you wouldn't necessarily lay that out as a roadmap. Yeah, right. Do as I do. Do as yeah, I do. How, how, how right.
0: could I tell someone, hey guys, go to college for seven years, don't do anything with your life, and then just put all your eggs in the basket that Rolling Stone magazines done not discover you? That's just hope for that. And then hope that the biggest movie star in the world, his first big role is, is like, that's fucking, it's, it's so hard to emulate someone's success that it's, I find it almost, uh, almost irresponsible to write a a self-help book because you're like, it's so everything's so fucked up. Yeah. You might be doing all the right things. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm watching this thing on Bruce Lee last night. You you have a fucking aneurysm. Like what? Like, like it's, it's crazy about, I want to talk. I want to talk about your new show. I want to pivot and talk about your new show. But, um, but I'm dying to know, like, tell give people like a like a soft sell of how much fun it was to shoot Booze Traveler because
2: you went every you had everyone's dream job. Yeah, you know, a lot of people would say that they say I want your job. I said I'm still doing it. <laughs> you want to kill me and take it? It was really because I'd I'd not come from the hosting world. I yeah. had hosted something year, way years before that, but my dream was to be an an actor. And so I, you know, I did a couple of guest stars on a couple of shows you might know. And this and then I got to do this play with Al Pacino. And I thought, wow, this is it. If I do nothing else to be on stage with maybe our greatest living actor and and Jessica Chastain, um, it, it was just it was just unbe- Just the, the experience was so fulfilling that I didn't really have an inkling to do hosting. and And then it came around and I said, wait a minute. What am I, stupid? They're saying you you get to go around the world, have drinks, maybe get paid for it. Probably not much because it's cable television. But you get to, I mean, I I saw maybe, went to maybe 60 countries, six continents out of the seven. And that's only because penguins don't make moonshine. We would have gone there if we gave us a reason to. But all the different people and cultures, it's something that I would have paid for after the fact, knowing what I know and how wonderful it was. Now, don't get me wrong. The traveling is hard. It's a grind. And, and you know, sometimes you just don't feel like doing it because you're jumping across international datelines. You get one hour sleep one day, 15 the next. Not too many of those days, by the way. And yes. you always have to be on. And the crews, they would come and go. The cameraman, the sound guys, you know, because it's exhausting. Only an idiot would do every episode. Yeah. Who would do that? So, uh, but. But I knew that it was going to be over sooner than I wanted it to be at some point. So just that experience. And I have always believed coming from nothing, of course, uh, that that we were enhanced more by the experiences we had in life and the people in our life more than we are by material goods. So thankfully, I believe that because uh, now I'm back to being (laughs) no job again. <laughs> it is. It was.
0: It wasn't. I mean, I. I remember looking at, that going, "God damn, that would be the fucking show." Like that would
2: be, like, how? How you did it? You just didn't. You. You just got paid for doing a different kind of show. I, you by you, the you way, were I was, this guy. I was drinking. I was drinking.
0: I was drinking like we were shooting booze traveler, but just doing trip flip. <laughs> That's right.
2: No, I'm sure. Sh- I'm. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it.
0: I. I it was. It was so fun to see. Uh, cause I had gotten there when it was me and Adam Richman, Andrew Zimmern, and Anthony Bourdain were like the four hosts. I'm I'm sure and Zach and those guys from Ghost Adventures, but that was kind of the group. And then you and Don Wildman and uh and um and Todd Carmichael showed up and it was like it was like a breath of fresh air. And I remember seeing you guys at upfronts, and it was just like it was like you guys were so untethered. You so didn't give a fuck. And I think Adam and I were at the point, were at the time where we were so involved with you know trying to get our numbers up, and you know it was like such a it was such a, like ad sales. I remember going to ad sales, going to those upfronts, and going to Greg Greg Regis and going, yeah. so tell me who, tell me who we can sell, tell me who we can get to buy. Uh, episodes of the show. Cause my whole thing with TripFlip is we only did it. I, th- I mean, we got greenlit for it, but we, our goal was to get every episode paid for by sponsors sure. so that we could make it for free. And so I remember that. And then you guys just came in. I remember Todd Carmichael got drunk at one of the upfronts, and I was like, God damn it, he's drinking. I want to be drinking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky, I have to say. I, I, I really, it's, it's to me like winning the lottery. A guy that would really no hosting experience to speak of, certainly not in, the, in this genre, but to be given this show. And so then again, I said to myself, all right, I, I have to honor those who not only who brought me to this point, but the people like you and the others you named, I have to be good. And I have to, this network is putting a lot of time and money into not only building a brand, but to doing the, the, this television show, because at the end of the day, it was a gift that wasn't work. I would have paid. I would have paid them, of course. Maybe that's why they pay so little. <laughs> they know. They know we love doing what we're doing, right? But at yep. the same, at the same time, boy, what an experience that was. I mean, I would, I would have done that forever. I never would have left and said, "Now I want to go do movies or I want to do this." That was just great because I love people and learning about these cultures live in person through what's going on. It was amazing. Amazing. What's cool? What's cool? And I think most people don't realize is like.
0: You, you get to steal moments for yourself in those shows. Like I remember, I remember we were fishing, we were fishing in a dugout canoe off the coast of Costa Rica before sunrise. And I watched the sunrise come up over a mountain mm-hmm. and we're having cocktails in the boat. It's like six in the morning. I, you, you get to steal moments for your, for your own like memory bank. What me- what, what memories do you have of your, where you're like, like, where you're like, oh, I was drinking, drinking, up in Nepal with the fucking Sherpa and he was spitting the, they had to spit it back into the bowl.
2: That's how they made the, the like what moments did you get that, that you got to steal for yourself? By the way, before I tell you that, that's a great point to make because when you do that and you're truly in the moment, they can sense that they know this is not produced television, yeah. that this guy is really living this moment at the time. And you could see the joy of, of of that experience on his face. So to take those moments, to understand, to not just skip past them, because everyone else on earth, I think, given that opportunity, would really take it in. You got a sunrise off Costa Rica in a boat, dugout canoe, having cocktails. If you don't pause at that moment and say, this is pretty cool, when do you then, right? When, when would you ever? So for me, there were so many, uh, uh, you know, I remember, the one that I'll just never forget because it involves my family. Uh, the second season we started in, in a place that they actually asked me, "Where would you like to go?" Dude, that's that's my favorite. That's my favorite thing. That i That's the one thing I miss more
0: than anything out of Travel Channel was that phone call. We would get it in January and they'd be planning out the season and they would go, "Okay, pick 13 places you want to go." And you'd be yeah. like, and but and and you had budget either like four or internet for us. It was like. Four are international, eight are, are in the States. And so, but it was the greatest fucking phone call
2: yeah. in the world. It was. You're asking me where I want to go on this dream trip of my. Absolutely. So I chose Sicily because my mother's grandfather left there as a young man and and never returned, certainly not to live. And I had all this family there that i never met. But they knew they knew of me through television and what have you. And they they heard stories from America. And I mean, really old school. In a little town outside of Palermo called Chamina. So I said, because my mother would talk about it on occasion. And I have cousins in Chicago that would talk about it. And they would go visit. So I said, that's it. But not only that, now that I did one season, now I was saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to bring my mother. I'm going to bring my mother to meet to say hello again to her DNA. People she's never met to really connect. And I did that along with my stepfather. I brought them and oh, to me, to see the joy on my mother's face, meeting her family, to hear stories about her grandfather as a young kid and, and everybody's crying constantly because they're so happy. And the mayor issues a proclamation and the band is playing and all of that. And I finally felt in a moment that I had Turned the tables just for that moment and gave back to my mother just a little bit of what she had been she'd given to me her whole life, not just life itself, but that I had really done something for her in a way that she would never forget. And every bit of that episode, I was thinking about that no matter what I was doing.
0: This podcast is brought to you by one of my favorite beers in the world, Miller High Life. I remember when I first started drinking. I was like 21, 22, when I, when I was like, I'm going to get a six-pack for myself. And I remember I didn't know anything about beers, and I went over to the gas station. There was an Amoco by my house, and I looked at beers. I was just had to judge by looking at beers. And I remember seeing the bottle and thinking, ooh, glass. You could see the beer. It was almost like it looked like sunshine. It looked like a good mood. It looked like a beer should be. And then I popped it open, and, and all those tiny little champagne-like bubbles ran to the top, and I thought, tonight's going to be a great night. I believe in celebrating everything. I believe in celebrating every day. My belief in life is treats. Am I right? Yes. Big or small, there are moments within every day worth celebrating. Celebrating with Miller High Life is the way to go. The champagne of beers, a high-quality beer within everyone's reach. Starting May through August this summer, Miller High Life will raise a can to celebrate summer simple moments with limited edition champagne cans. Simple summer moments don't have to be big calls for a celebration. For example, it's not just having a backyard barbecue. It's celebrating everyone getting together for the first time the grill fires up this summer. It's celebrating a sunset. I had so many beautiful sunsets. I can't wait. I'm so, I'm not drinking right now, but man, when we, in like 30 days, when I can open up, I know exactly what I'm, these limited cans are in stores right now. So make sure to get yours. Miller High Life has been faithfully brewed by the same way since the start New Year's Eve, 1903. Wow. Who doesn't start? Who starts a beer on 19th? That is dream type shit right there. Their founders believe that everyone should enjoy the good life, which is why they created the Champagne of Beers, which Miller High Life has been famously known for over th- hundred years. They are in stores right now, these limited release, champagne cans to celebrate summer simple moments. There are simple moments while all of our families are in our backyards. Enjoy them now with these limited only cans. Miller High Life Champagne and Beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It stinks that Travel Channel didn't work out as a brand, you know, like that it stinks that by the way, I love Zach and Aaron, and I, I, I they're I, they're amazing, and I love their shows. It was such a great job, you know, like it, it, Travel Channel, that all of us, like, I mean, look at like what Bourdain did, but it was such a great job. It was so fun. I wonder what fucked it up. I wonder what what did you think? Like, what, what did you think towards the end was the reason that Boost Traveler got canceled? It was was it just because they were going paranormal?
2: Well, I can't say for sure. I, I thought our ratings were good, you know, and and it's not just about ratings, of course. It's it's also is it on brand and can ad sales sell the show, right? And and so,
0: also is it is it like in a lot of times the a new president like the one we mentioned wants to come in and put her thumbprint on the network sure. and say this is what I did. I brought she had no president and that was the problem I had at the network was no president wants to inherit a show. That is moderately successful. They'll keep around shows like Man vs. Food or Bourdain or Andrew Zimmern. But if if you are moderately successful, the president for the most part it's like, if we can st- if we can repurpose this talent, let's do that. But I don't I don't want to just flounder on a show that I don't really give a shit about. And that was what happened to Bert to Conquer, and that's why um, they switched me into Trip Flip. And then that's why they switched me back into Birth to Conquer. I mean, I, got, I had so many fucking shows on Travel Channel. I know. I had, like, I had Scream, if you know the answer. I had a blooper show. I, had, I mean, it's such a fucking bizarre experience there because I think people liked me. They wanted me to work there. Sure, but, they did. But no one wanted to like, no, I, it was we just had so many goddamn presidents at the time. But what do you think was the reason? We, I cut you off. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I, thankfully, I didn't focus on it too much because I probably would have felt bad about myself because I was going through chemo and I, I wanted to try to save my life first and foremost. The job comes after that, right? Uh, but I, I was told uh, through, you know, the, the person at the network who made the phone call and others that it wasn't a personal thing that they, uh, as you know, they had sold scripts who owned uh, all the networks, Food, HGTV, Travel Channel, DIY, cooking and um, food or whatever, maybe Um, they sold to Discovery. So I think that people were scrambling around, worried about their jobs. And like you say, if it's just going to be a moderately successful show, anybody can do that. So that, you know, it's it's like they want to move things around just to say, look at how we arranged, we rearranged the chess pieces. Look at us. How, and 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 I, I can't blame them. Obviously, they have to do whatever they can to save their job. They don't owe me anything. But I believe that it wasn't because of the chemo or anything, because a couple of shows, they, they canceled Hotel Impossible with Anthony yeah. Melchiori and a couple of other things because that was I a great
0: think, fucking show hotel impossible oh Ant- and was anthony great was great in it
2: you know and he's such a good guy Anthony's he's
0: such a goddamn good guy yeah he, was, he is he's such a good guy goddamn it, i totally forgot about hotel impossible
2: he was such a solid fucking dude solid actually first person of all the hosts on travel channel first one to call me and say welcome to the network and dude. uh but just a good guy. He didn't do that for any reason other than he's just, he's just a good guy. But Samantha Brown was so great. Man, um, every, so everything awesome. she did. I she,
0: love, Sam, I love Sam Brown.
2: I just did an episode of her, or show Emmy award winning show places to love on PBS. She came to Arizona where I was doing treatment. And, and so I showed her around Phoenix in that episode. It was, it was wonderful, but you know, who knows exactly the calculation that they, that they go through in their mind. But, because they, I wasn't the only show that they pulled. I figured they were just going in a different direction. You know, they they were going, and and I don't mean to make fun of those shows at all. It's great, no. but they wanted to go more ghosty than just the one or two that they had. And and now it's, as I'm told by by people who, who reach out on social media all the time, that's all they're doing. It's it's yeah. not even travel anymore. It's T R V L and travel, that's travel. cool. Look, no, no, it's cool because if that works, but you it know does. It's not my thing.
0: I think the ratings are through the roof. I think they're doing better than they've ever done. Their ad sales are through the roof. Man, those people, like uh um the I good the, for them. The guy who did Expedition Unknown, Josh, Josh Gates. Gates. Josh Gates was a ghost hunter first. Was like, he? Oh yeah. Like dude, there's something about there's something about ghost hunting that really uh gets fans to tether to you for the rest of your life. Like Zach is I mean, is zach is so and and you know what here's the other thing i'll say I, and I, I should do a podcast with zach and aaron maybe but like they had a hundred percent control over their show they simply would give their show to them and travel channel would just air it there were never any notes no one ever told them what to do they did their show i mean they're so ahead of the game the curve they wow. shot their show edited their show they had all control of it and, I, and i'm not saying like Zach's team. It was fucking Zach and Aaron. They were in an editing bay going like, here we go. Or at least sitting over someone's shoulder. So sure. they, so, and, and their show got ratings. I'm telling you the ratings their show got were incre- insane and secret time. And I'm not allowed to share this, but I'll fucking say it anyway. No one ever wanted to get behind that goddamn show. Cause Scripps was a Christian organization. And I think they thought it was like the occult. They're like, they're promoting the devil. So, so like the never had ad sales. They never, they didn't need any of that shit. They had the network bent over wow. backwards because, because fucking that, that show got such high fucking ratings. They were king of the roost. I mean, but it's, but it, 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 I think the network's doing phenomenal right now. Like legit way better than it ever did. Height of Bourdain man versus food, birth to conquer, booze traveler. Um, Andrew Zimmern, like height of Bizarre Destinations. But height of all of that, I think the network's killing it. I know Matt Butler but is there running, you go. The, Matt Butler's running the network right now. He's a really good friend of mine. Like I have him out when we do shows, when I do shows in Maryland, I'll have him and his friends and his family out. And I think I think he, I mean, I shouldn't speak for Matt Butler at all, but like they are killing it. Like everyone's got jobs there because, the yeah, and by the way, their shows are fucking good. Me and, I shouldn't say that, but I, I mean, I, I wanted to work with them again i love matt butler matt butler was the first team that brought me in matt butler and charlie parsons that's before Lorene and fred and that's before shannon and before like this before all those fucking people Well, wow, they, they they came back around after all that time and the guy running the network now was the guy that got fired from the network when or i think he quit i think he quit but when Lorene came in they cleaned house and i think matt bounced and went over to discovery i i shouldn't wow. i shouldn't I'm speaking way out of school and so I apologize I'm I probably got all the facts wrong. So please don't like I'm just telling you si- us hosts never knew anything. You know? I didn't, yeah, I still don't know anything. I don't you know, know what you- <laughs> but, but Matt Butler's a great dude and I think So that- would
2: you go back? I mean you'd have to take oh, a big oh. pay cut. I, I <laughs> and you right now, and you'd have to work a lot harder uh you know being away from your family. I suppose you do that now cuz you're on tour and all. Here's the deal, I try I tried to go back.
0: I tried to like I that's the that's my white whale is that network is like, is I, I had such insecurity around that network. It's like, you know what it's like, it's like the hot chick in high school that you had a crush on. And now you've graduated college and you run into her and she's, she's like back in your hometown and she maybe never left. And you moved to New York and now you see her and she's like, Hey, what are you doing back in town? And you're like, Oh shit. And then you're like, I wonder if I can fuck her. And then, (laughs) and so I talked to Dan Adler talked to I talked to Dan Adler and Matt Butler way too much like I talked to them constantly about we tried to do one show at one point like a big special and then and then it just didn't work out of my touring my touring was was kind of blowing up and then we tried to do another thing very recently and it just everything was so it it just was so problematic and then we tried to do a workaround to figure out if we could figure out a way to do the show because it was just so complicated and you know what You know, obviously it's not, it's not necessarily about the money for me. It's, it's more about like, I really loved, I, I really believed in that network and I loved that network and I love the group of people that I worked with. I Ross Babbitt, Ross Babbitt was such a great Dale. I worked with Dale, all the people over at high noon. Like you, you fall in love for me, what I did, and this is bizarre when you look back at it and you'll go, are you serious? I would sign up to do an episode and then I would force all the cameramen, sound guy and producers to sign up for the whole season. You could not leave because mm-hmm. I didn't want new cameramen. I wanted, I had a certain group that I like to be around. I like to insulate myself with them. We all drove in one van. We'd rent two vans and I'd be in a van with the exact same people so I could make all my inappropriate jokes. And it was like having a family and I miss them wholeheartedly. Like i some of the greatest times I ever had in my life
2: were with. Sounds you know. like a blast. Yeah, I miss it too, Bert. I know exactly what you're saying. There are very few of us that know exactly what that experience is like. Yeah. And those, those were great days for me. I'll always cherish them and I miss them too. There's nothing like, no one will understand this except for
0: us, but there's nothing like a long day of shooting. You do, you're on your like your third setup and you're at a, you're at a location and you know technically this isn't going to make the show, but you're just doing one more shot just to have yourself covered. We were, in, we were in New Zealand, we had just gone to Hobbiton, and we were doing a wine tasting. Wine tastings never made the fucking show. They never made the show because it was just like, it's It's the weirdest thing to have, especially on Triplip with two people that had never been on camera, have them try to explain wines. It was so, like everyone knows there's a workaround for us about, oh, I feel it's full bodied. Uh, I really get the hints of oak. <laughs> and and you, like there's like cheats that we would do as a host, but if you're <laughs> if you're uh, if you're not talent on the show and you're just a regular person, it's good. That's yeah, it's good. <laughs> One guy I remember going. We were tasting pineapple wines, and he said, uh, and I said, "What do you feel?" And he dead seriously looked, he said pineapple. <laughs> he goes, I'm, "I'm tasting pineapple," and we're like, "Yeah." <laughs> he goes, I'm getting big hints of pineapple. And we're like, it's made from pineapple. And then he goes, <laughs> and I said, try to like use, to, I go, try not to just tell us what the obvious things you're sensing. But, tell us how you feel. And he goes, it's like a carnival of flavor in my mouth. <laughs> <And> we go, <laughs> <laughs> but we were, we were, we were doing a setup in New Zealand. It was one of my favorite where you're just punch drunk. You're, you're, you're jet lagged. You're tired. Oh, yeah. Third setup, the sun setting. We know as soon as this is over, we're done. And we are with the most uptight woman who just honestly was not having it. Didn't like where we initially set it up. She wanted it set up a certain way. This was her vineyard. She wanted it set up on a hill. It just made no fucking sense for us to be drinking wine in a hill. And she had all these food setups. She had planned this on being a much bigger segment than we had promised her maybe. And so we get there. And she does not like me. And she asked if I could not be in the shot. And like, <laughs> I'm the fucking host. She goes, "Why is that possible?" And she goes, "I think it's better if I host it. Like if I host it, because I'm I know what I'm saying. You don't know what you're saying. So wow. I'll just be with them." And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, "Fucking take me out of it." I'm, and you know our producers are like, "No, no, no. Bert needs to be in the shot." And so she says, "This one, this one pairs well with a a, a fig." Jelly on a cracker. I think you'll notice the hints And this one. Pairs better with a strawberry jam. Like if you taste the difference. And then she said, do you know the difference between jam and jelly? And I said, I actually do. And she said, really? My whole crew's like, Bert's the most unrefined guy in the world. (laughs) And I said, you can't jelly your dick in someone's ass. And she (laughs) (laughs) she must have died. Dude, oh. It was done. We wrapped, we walked out and they were like that. That woman will be reaching out to the network and letting them know how unhappy she is.
2: And scene. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to guess that didn't make it to air. It was so worth it. Just
0: watching. I Yeah. I got, I, I wish I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I'll do. This is where I'm, this is where I'm at right now. I would like to, I, if I wonder if this is even fucking possible. I would, anything's I would do a, possible, but I do a show with the Net travel channel what I'd do is I'd take all the footage from all my past shows and I would edit a show together the way aaron and and Zach do it. I would edit a show and I would put all those fucking moments where we laughed hysterically as a crew and just and, and take out the branding like the the branding of travel channel the the family friendly shit I would just make a badass show of like of like I guess what I do now i why am I saying I just t- I just do it now. I would just like we're we're doing this tour on driving movie theaters, and I'm filming it. I'm filming it with one of my f- shooters from TripFlip and from Birth Conquer. I'm shooting. He's traveling with me. I, I called one of my producers from TripFlip and said, "Hey, can you kind of storyboard this out for us, or give us an idea or direction, and kind of be our base camp where we can, if we need to access somewhere, we can have you call before we pull in." And so I would just do it myself. And that's I think that's what's problematic about things now is that you can do everything yourself. I mean, this podcast is. Just me, a blue I mean it's it's you know, and it and I am and it's more it's more it's more profitable because you're not paying agents and managers than
2: going out traveling the world and doing a show. But god damn it, that was fucking fun. It was. So so why don't you just get the footage from them and do it yourself and put it together? I think it's a great idea. I tried I tried that with um Boona Murray.
0: I shot a show with Boona Murray that is the funniest show I've ever been a part of in my life. It it is me, this guy, Theo Vaughn, and this guy, Brett Ernst, and we started a fraternity and we did it, a reality show. and We put it in a uh, Craigslist and we got guys, we didn't vet anyone. And we got 12 guys in LA and we took them for a weekend to start a fraternity. And this show was so inappropriate. It was so funny, fucking hilarious that I reached out to Boone Murray and I said, can I just, cause it didn't go anywhere. I was like, can I just buy that footage from you? I would love to buy that footage and then edit my own show. Sure. And they said, no, I guess there's no, I guess there's no benefit in them. Like it's, it's not enough money. Like they, you know, you, you don't have enough money for them to give a fuck about it.
2: But where is it now sitting on the bottom of their toy box with the stretch Armstrong and a cheesy game on it? Well, yeah. it it's never going to see the light of day.
0: Yeah. I would love, I, I mean, I, that, and that was one of the, one of the times I pitched a travel channel. I was like, let me own the footage. Cause I wanted to own the footage. 'Cause I I know that I can I know that the stuff we shot sometimes the stuff that didn't make it was so much better than the stuff that sometimes got in.
2: I feel the same way with us. So what, what happened? Did Travel Channel say no to as well?
0: Uh, travel channel said no. Um, wow.
2: Travel channel you know said what? No I I think both Buda Murray and Travel Channel are afraid that you're gonna make it more successful with what you do and they're gonna then people are going to say, why couldn't you guys do it? You had the footage, right?
0: You know, my friends would say, why are you even having this conversation? Just do your own thing now. Like, that's where everyone's head's at. But, you know, it's like you to have a guy like Ross, you know, Ross is a great example. But to have a guy like Ross in your ear or in your corner, kind of giving you a direction or an angle that he sees, there's value to that. Like, there's value. You know, I think so often, God, this is really inside baseball, but so often a producer is not you get a producer and you, and they get, they become especially field producers are kind of just like following someone else's lead. Like they're not really have their own mind. And then when you work with real producers, like legit producers, like, like, I, like I'll say Dan Adler who created man versus food, created birth conquer. Dan Adler is a Like not only is he a problem solver in, in the office, but he's a problem solver in the field. And he's a great visionary guy. He's a great, like, sees it for out of the box and, and then knows how to get it into the box. Or like I worked, I worked with, I'm working with some producers now on, on movies and on, um, on TV shows that are a little, a little higher end than, than travel channel. And one of the producers, I, we were just literally just call talking on the phone before this started. He's one of those guys that like when shit gets confusing, he comes in the room as this like, spiritual leader to put everyone back on track and you're like Mm -hmm. and like i just said to someone i would work with him every fucking time because as soon like he sees big visions like you need those people that see the big vision and so i i love a great producer is so valuable absolutely and and great execs like great great exec like matt butler or or even you know i mean i don't i like but the like Shannon, like all the ones we worked with that, that, that were like just awesome people, kind individuals, Lorene as, as well. Lorene, you know, Lorene was, I was not a huge fan of mine. Like she definitely didn't like me, I think at the jump. And I don't know if she ever really liked me, (laughs) but, but I, I, you. I, it's once again, it's one of those things that we were talking about earlier, where you find the things that you didn't like what they did and you let those be your guide. And then the things that that you, th- th- and, and there was uh, lots of positives to Lorreen, you know, uh, and you just kind of find those positives. It's crazy, it's crazy. So wait, tell me about your
2: new show. Tell me about your new show. Sure, and that's a healthy way to look at it, by the way, because the Shannon O'Neills and Ross and Courtney White, the people in Cargas 7 who did such a great job, they all made that, you know, I was the face of it, but they all made it go and they, they don't get the credit that they should half the time, but you're so right. A, a really great producer can make the difference. Conversely, a bad producer can really screw it up, and you know, I we went through a couple where people would they just didn't get it; they didn't understand. So well, uh, they want it
0: to be theirs. They want it to be theirs. Yeah,
2: that's right. That's exactly right. So this new thing uh, only came from, like you say, uh, you, you 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 get hit with something, and you can. The only thing we have control over is the choices. We how we feel about it is the only thing, right? So I get cancer. I lose a show. I have to go through chemo, which is that there's no day at the beach. Let me tell you, that's not fun. Of course. So, but I do it and I take it in and I accept it. And I say, I'm going to get better and everything's going to be okay, but uh, I can't sleep at night. So I uh, on a recommendation, I start taking CBD and it works and it's, it's wonderful. I meet these people who say, Hey, let's do this show. Long story short, we do a show and and it comes from the perspective of, hey, I really wasn't a cannabis user before, you know, for all these different reasons. So, but this works. I wonder if there are other people out there who had one ver- one vision of cannabis at one time and then said, wait, maybe it's not what we were told it is. So because of that, we talked to like older people who would never have used it. Uh, people from red states that think it's... It, the, the ones we talked to thought it was against God's natural law, and it was against their religion and the church. And good people didn't use it, and things like that. Pets, you would never give get a pet high unless you were, you know, goofing around trying to be funny. And and not a lot of it has THC, but the CBD aspect of it. I'm learning so much. You know, obviously it's not international. It's not as eye opening as booze Traveler was, but it's it's really fulfilling because I went through that journey. First the cancer, then the chemo, and then I was helped by it. And we find so many people who are being helped by it and their experience. And how, how not only did it flip a light on when people came to them and said, I know you don't like marijuana or cannabis or whatever we're calling it, but I tried this and it works. And people are saying, wait a minute, it's not this horrible thing that they said it was. I'm not lazy. I'm not going to just eat Cheetos on the couch, uh, I'll fall asleep. Maybe there's something to this. And so we're changing hearts and minds, hopefully not advocating for it in any way, but saying at least think for yourself, open your mind to get educated because it was prohibited in 1937. Thanks to a guy named Harry J. Anslinger, who uh, basically just wanted to prohibit something. Alcohol just came off the list in 33 and they came to him through William Randolph Hearst, who who thought hemp was a threat to his paper mills because he owned newspapers. And And he hated
0: Mexicans. William Randolph Hearst hated Mexicans. That's a, every Mexican guy ever always tells me that.
2: Well, not only that, uh, it was absolutely against Mexicans and and people of color, racist. They went into jazz clubs and they were arresting jazz musicians and Mexicans. They wanted to, they, they came up with this term, marijuana, because it sounded Mexican and scary. And it was the Marijuana Tax Act, but instead of a J, it was, it was spelled with an H, marijuana. And, and you're right, it was, it was for racial reasons and economic reasons. And basically, they lied to us about what it is. And again, I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world that it's going to cure everything, but at least look at it for what it is, not for what you're told it is. And that goes for anything, religion, politics, any of it. So this is what we're trying to do. And uh, thankfully- um, we're doing it anyway, but it's, it's, it's not on a network. It's on YouTube and with a little mini segments, just a few minutes each, but we start with a, a 30 minute Q and a live. So I do it like you're doing this live, and then we show the show and then I have a, an interview right afterwards. So it's about 40, 45 minutes of content every week. And it's on my YouTube channel and, and Facebook. And that's, uh, that's called the high road with Jack Maxwell. And then on Sunday, I do a thing Jack's Place. I just have a drink and talk to people. And I also do a trivia game show called Belly Up, but only on Facebook and my YouTube channel for now. Until you and I get shows again on Travel Channel, and we'll laugh about it. Dude,
0: I'm <laughs> telling you, what, you how come or how come you're not doing Jack's Place as a podcast?
2: Uh, I'm doing it as a as a what do you call this? A visual podcast. Is it's it on visual? live every on? Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, but and are you, are you, it's are like you, this. And I take questions live. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, it's just you and fans. Yeah. Oh, sometimes, okay. sometimes I have guests. We bring them in and out, depending. And then we had a contest, so this, you know, you know, we started bringing on people that they won the contest, so they'll come on and have a drink with me. So it's really just a mishmash of things, whatever I'm thinking of at uh, at the time. God
0: damn. Dude, this has been an amazing podcast, man. I I, I feel like because I'm because you're an amazing host. No, I am a fucking by the way. Wait till you see the notes in the comments. They're like, Jack, it was a good episode, but it's only a good episode because he shut the fuck up for the first 45 minutes until <laughs> really he wanted to talk about fucking himself. I am I'm I I think they're good podcasts when I'm fascinated by people. And you're one of those guys that I've just I've been a fan of all the whole time we were on the network, and then I heard what you were going through and then running into you and seeing how good you looked, I was like, God damn it, man. It's always good. I think it's so important to hear those hero stories, you know, about guys who get through dark places and get to the next place and still fight. And cause so many people get diagnosed with cancer and just go, Oh fuck, you know, that your,
2: your story is important, you know? Thank you. And, and I, I feel the same way. You were, uh, you were always the one who, who led the way and uh, I could never try to try to be you But uh, a lot of people followed your example and maybe even ripped you off a little. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so happy that you're doing well. I know what you're saying about it's your white whale and your Ahab and it's Moby Dick. And maybe one day you'll grab it by the tail and pull it onto your boat. But you're doing really well. I mean, you got a beautiful family and you're really successful. You have all these great uh, specials and and your live stand-up, so you're not you're not missing anything. Congratulations to you, my man. Dude, congratulations to you. What's the name of the show? One more time. I'm going to type it
0: in my browser and watch it tonight with a box of wine on my treadmill.
2: <laughs> it's called the High Road with Jack Maxwell, and uh, it's always on YouTube, my YouTube channel and Facebook, but we do it live uh, Friday nights, eight thirty Eastern, five thirty Pacific.
0: The High Road. I
2: hope everyone
0: goes and checks it out. I hope um, to tell, please tell Ross that, uh, that I miss him and I follow his son's journey. It's exciting watching his son succeed in this business. I will, my man. Thank you. Um, I got, let me see if I got it on. Where the fuck is it? Oh, my bad. I went into, um, give me one second. I want to pull it up. So I got it in my thing. Um, and then I'm definitely watching it tonight, man. And I would I would love... You know, we're going to be in Arizona in Phoenix. Where are you in right now? Are you in Phoenix?
2: Yeah, Scott's there, right next door.
0: We're in Phoenix. Uh, all right, I'm pulling it up. All right, I got gotcha. you. Doesn't matter when, right, I'm there. Right now, we got 385 subscribers. I say, everyone, do me a favor. Go over, click the subscribe button and start following. I know a lot of people smoke weed that listen to this podcast. A lot of you. I think this is going to be a fascinating podcast for a lot of you, a fascinating show. So go on, click subscribe on YouTube. Give them a comment. Tell them that I smell like shit or I fuck dogs, whatever you want to tell them. (laughs) Don't say that. It's not true. (laughs) We're in Phoenix. uh, We're in Phoenix, June 19th. I'm doing, I haven't announced it yet, but I'm doing stand-up live. I'm doing two shows. So if oh, you've got I, in, I would love to have you at the show. I would love to have you at the show. I'll, so, be
2: there. I'll reach out and uh, I'll make sure I see you. Can uh, can we g- grab a drink afterwards? A
0: hundred percent.
2: Unless you're busy. I know you got a lot of fans.
0: No, no, no. It's it's half capacity shows right now because uh, of the COVID. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's so, right. It's, so it's going to be, so, and, and I'm not going to really like socialize much with the fans. I'm just kind of going, it'll be my first time on stage in 80, 90 days. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait. I got, I got a you're joke excited? lined up. I got, I'm super fucking excited. So text me, shoot me a text. I got, I think I got you in here. I'll shoot you a text okay. and let you know, and I'll give you the info, and then I'll hook you up with my tour manager so you can come in when we have a drink after the show.
2: That'd be great, Bert. Bro, and I miss you. Photo,
0: I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. I'm glad. You. and and, you and thank
2: happy. thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate that.
0: Of course, brother. Thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'll be watching your show tonight. Great. I'll see. You, I'll see you soon. I'll see you. There. I'll see you in a couple weeks, Jack. All right, buddy. Thanks. Right, Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by the machine.